I saw the um uh the other day and I, I thought it because I knew you were coming on and I was I was thinking about this 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 term that's come up recently of California sober. Have yeah, you heard this? I have heard that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, just because it has the word sober in it. Well, I mean, I think it. You know, based on what I understand of what that means, it's like people still smoke weed and they're they don't drink. Or I've do heard it was else. smoke weed and drink or just smoke weed. But I also don't know. Again, I feel like if if anyone that's like an actual drug counselor worth his salt would probably be like. I, I don't know. I might be wrong, but like you know, depending on what your vice was, maybe just stay away from all of it. Well, I mean, listen. This is what I'll say. I. It, you know, especially now, like in my different role working in the recovery field or whatever the hell you want to call it, you know, everybody's sobriety's got to be their own, right? Like what what you consider to be sober or what works for you or anything like that is your own, I suppose, because you you know you ultimately have to find your own path, right? But California sober, as far as I understand it, is yeah, you 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 smoke weed but you don't drink anymore, or you you smoke weed and you microdose but you don't drink and do hard drugs. Yeah, you'll, so you're no longer doing like crack, but you'll have a beer and, yeah, maybe and smoke some weed. Some and weed. you know, I listen. There's proven therapeutic value to smoking weed. Like yes. it's good for you. Yes, it, it, you know, as long as it's not in excess. Sure, it's bad for your lungs, but you're eating edibles and stuff. It's good for your a lot of things, right? Yeah. I personally never was a big fan of pot or smoking weed or any of that stuff. It just made me feel bizarre. Um, but listen, if somebody if that's therapeutic for somebody, I can get on board with that. I can understand why that would be a desirable way to live. Um, I think that it though it kind of puts people in like dangerous waters though, because to say okay I'm sober right you know ten years ago you know if you were sober you, you didn't do anything you didn't you didn't drink you didn't do drugs you were a sober person right and i think a lot of times when people said they were sober people equated that to alcoholism you know what yeah. i mean like someone that was growing up i always did well right yeah. hey i'm sober means you don't drink or you once had a problem with drinking and now you're a sober person right well you know now that can mean i'm sober and i, I don't do drugs i don't drink nothing think, that impairs me in a way well right yeah i live a clean life and i'm so sober but you know another thing too that i see a lot now is people say i'm in recovery and especially working you know in and like i said in that field that's a term we use a lot more than i'm just sober it's you're actively in recovery you know you live a life yeah. of recovery i know there's been a lot of like definition or redefining of some things that one was just odd to me and i don't yeah. know why this is why i remember it, but it is was uh, the singer Demi Lovato. Yeah. She had, I think, a pretty significant drug problem. From what I understand. But then I, she's like, I'm California sober. And right. I'm like, and that's where I was like, again, I don't know the details, but to me, I'm yeah. like, I don't think you should do anything. Yeah. But I might be wrong. I mean, listen, once again, like I said, I'm not going to ever like say, you know, how people should define their sobriety or their recovery. Yeah. But I, I do think, though, that if you start to rework the language attached to what sobriety is, and you start to like say, well, I'm sober, I'm California sober, I'm this sober, whatever you want to call it. And there's elements of some sort of like drug use or drinking or whatever. You could diminish what that really means because there is a lot of strength and then some into someone that has reclaimed their life and now lives oh, yeah. a sober life and is in recovery. I remember this was, this was, I don't know, quite a while ago, probably last summer. Um, no, no, not last summer. It was early this summer, sorry, uh, when I was navigating through the world of the terrible dating app 
thing. You know, being a single guy at that point. My um, understanding it hasn't gotten any better. So no, worry. it's terrible. It's terrible, <laughs> and it's you know yeah. weird and gross and very intrusive and you know. But I matched with this girl on Hinge, I think, or woman, very beautiful. Like you know, tattoos definitely matched the aesthetic of what I look for, whatever you know. But I, you know, I'm attracted to all different kind of women. Uh, but this woman in particular, I was like, all right, cool. I think I even sent her like one of the roses thing, like a super like or whatever the hell it's called. Um, and she matched, and we chatted briefly until she said, after having kind of a nice back and forth and just kind of like feeling each other out, she all of a sudden. Oh, opens up another series of conversation and says, so it looks like on your profile that sobriety is like kind of your identity. And I was like, well, not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my identity. It's something I'm very proud of. And it's something that I talk a lot about because I think that it's helpful to other people. And, you know, I actually have put myself out there to that end because I want to help people that are struggling, especially, you know, people that I can engage with directly. And, you know, being someone who chose to stay in the restaurant bar industry I think it's important that there are people that are like me that, you know, are, have been in the industry long enough because I'm just old that can, you know, interact with people and reach other people that might be struggling, you know, in an industry that I love very much. And she said something like, well, I don't really see it as much of an accomplishment or something to that effect. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? So I responded and I was like, for real? Like, I go, have you... I said to her, I go, I can't remember the woman's name, but I said, have you ac actually ever known anybody that's ever struggled with addiction or, you know, had a drug problem or anything like that? And she was like, yeah, plenty. And I said, and you it's don't. even dumber. <laughs> and I go, so, and you don't see it as any sort of, any sort of feat whatsoever that someone would be proud of or be, you know, kind of give themselves a pat on the shoulder for going from being so dependent on something that you literally can't survive without it to, you know, reclaiming their life. You don't see that as any sort of accomplishment whatsoever. And she was like, no, it just, I guess I just don't have the experience myself. So I don't really see it as much of an accomplishment. I was like, you know what? I don't think this is uh, going to work out. So I just like unfollowed her or whatever, but it was I've just, never trained a whale, but it's looks Well, right. Hard. It was just such a... I've never run like, you know, I've never been in the Olympics either, but that's a feat yeah. of strength. Seems like, I like don't have to do it to understand yeah. that it's... It sounds like I won a silver medal, but like, pussy, why didn't well, you win right. gold? Oh, you ran... Yeah, right. It's like, come on. It's and a I, very tone deaf. It was a very bizarre thing, and, you know, but I, I, I guess it's really not... I shouldn't be as surprised about it, because there are people that don't really see it as... An accomplishment. I think it's a lot better nowadays. Like sobriety has become something that people really are starting to acknowledge as an accomplishment. And people are starting to understand that there are a lot of people that are out there struggling with addiction, you know, certainly drinking, certainly drug use, you know, and then this kind of like thing that is always underlying and works right in tandem with that is that the whole mental health thing, you know, it is a lot more of a acknowledged and um, talked about thing in our society now. And I think anybody can see that. I mean, if you look at anything, you know, certainly social media, there are a lot of people now that are talking more about their own struggles with addiction and mental health. And I think that's great because it is kind of shedding a light on a topic that we probably as a culture should have been talking about a lot more. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, we've all had that like wacky aunt or uncle that was, you know, at any holiday that kind of was always a little 
off kilter or a little zany and you know you never really talked about why that was well a lot of times you know there either was some sort of you know undiagnosed mental health issue or some sort of drinking or drug use or a combination of both but people didn't talk about it people just said eh they're just crazy they're weird it was the funny aunt yeah the funny aunt oh don't go over by funny aunt whatever you know and she was always a little bit you know don't talk to cindy after nine well right (laughs) and 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 you know, in our culture, you know, that was just kind of what it was. But now people are starting to go, well, hey, you know, maybe, you know, Aunt Cindy's in need of some sort of like help. You know, maybe Aunt Cindy isn't well. Like what's going on with Aunt Cindy? Why why is she like that? You know, and I think that's great because as somebody who lives a life of recovery, and I talked about this when I was on last time, you know, you when you are so succumbed to your addiction to whatever it might be, you do feel very lonely and you do feel very lost and you can be surrounded by your friends and family and feel like nobody sees that you're struggling, you know, and alone in a crowded room, everyone, that's a real thing. It really is. And especially for people that are suffering from, you know, mental illness and, you know, an addiction that's made even worse. It's made 10, 10 times worse. A lot of times, especially when you factor in like severe substance abuse and addiction, because you can't see a way out of it. And, you know, you use, you drink, whatever, the mental health gets worse, you don't address it, and the next thing you know, you're, you know, a million times worse off than you would have been had you maybe addressed it. So I think it's really, it's a great thing that people are starting to have the conversations and be a lot more willing to, you know, face these things head on. Because... (sighs) I think if had we not gotten more comfortable with having those sorts of conversations, people would have succumbed more and more and more to their addictions. I mean, I think in the in COVID, right? You know, and I've I've brought this sort of idea, and I don't, I can't actually prove this. I don't have the data. I'm not a researcher, but I think it was pretty it was pretty convenient or pretty coincidental that a lot of the symptoms of COVID were very similar to the symptoms or what happens when you go through alcohol withdrawal, sweating, shakes, fever, you know, vomiting, you know, as someone who's gone through that, that's some of that stuff is kind of similar, right? Yeah. So what if they would have said, Hey, no drinking, we're not going to open up bars. You can't get to go beer. Liquor stores are going to be closed. Right. So then you have all these people that are going through withdrawal that would have been heading to the ER too, thinking they had COVID. Right. Think about that. Kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. You know, now I don't know if that was coincidental or if people really thought about that, but I think that people kind of took a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a look at what they, that was a weird time for all of us, right? The whole fucking world was a mess and panicking and scared. And, you know, and then you factor in all the bizarro stuff that was going on in this country. But in the early stages, people were just trying to get by, right? People were just trying to- Set, adjust to this new way of life and none of us knew how long that was going to be. Well, a lot of people just got wasted. You know, people were having parties and drinking their faces off and getting high. They didn't have work. All of a sudden we were getting all this money. Sure, it's a way to kill time, but is that really beneficial to you as a person? Is that really helping you? No, I can tell you April 2020, that's what my month was. <laughs> yeah. And listen, that's not a judgment, man. Like, hey, I, I had, sold beer that whole time. Like I, That was, you know, was the, the whole thing. And I, mine was, I'm like, 
it was just such a dark time. And I, I mean a dark time even literally. Yeah. Like it was a bad time of year. Yeah. The sun never came out. Nope. <laughs> I, no. no one knew when cold. it was going to end. It was wasn't, snowing a couple wasn't of those Wasn't working. Times. No one was hiring. Right. I'm no, like, shit, right. what am I going to do? <laughs> right. I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink the whole time. You know, and I think that once things started to kind of like normalize and the world was like, you know, opening back up. Sure, people flocked to bars, they flocked to restaurants because they wanted to get back out there and support businesses that were struggling. But I think people also took a look at themselves and the people around them and went, Jesus, man, we hit it really hard for that two and a half months. Like maybe we should kind of rein this in a little bit because I feel like at that point in time, I certainly started to notice a little more that people were starting to have the conversations about stuff when it came to drinking, especially, you know, because of the industry I'm in, that's something that I'm, I'm around and I hear people talk about it, you know, and I also, as you know, I mean, I think one of the first times you and I met, I mean, we talked about me being sober or I came up, you know, I put myself out there because I do want to engage with people about it. Not that I have anything against drinking. Obviously I still work at a bar, a brewery. Um, but I don't want people to ever feel like, they have to turn to that sort of like, it doesn't always have to be the thing that we do. You know what I mean? But for so long, we've kind of been, I we've been not force fed, but the idea that if it's a good time, if we're celebrating, we're drinking, right? If it's a bad time, we're sad, we're mourning, we're drinking. drinking. You know, if there's nothing to do, it's a boring Sunday, what are we going to do? Let's go out and get trashed. And I lived that life for a long time. And there are great times that are associated with alcohol. Like, I, I don't have anything against al- alcohol because there's nothing... Alcohol isn't jumping down your throat. People are choosing to drink alcohol. And it does actually make for a good time if you can control it. Sadly, there's a lot of people that can't. And before they know it, it gets off the rails and they're, you know they develop a pretty serious dependency or their their life's getting out of control because their drinking has become such a common factor in everything they do. And that's just not, it's not sustainable. You know what I mean? You can't, there are plenty of people that do it and live out their whole lives, but what could their life be if they maybe took a step back and kind of looked at it and said, do I really need to drink this much? Is this really beneficial to me? You know, maybe their life could be a little more fulfilling. Maybe they could accomplish things that they didn't think they could because they could have a bit of a clearer mind and look at things a little bit more, you know, a little bit more mindful and say, okay, well, look, I can actually accomplish that. I can go back to school. I can take on this project, you know, as opposed to being held back by being hungover all the time or, you know, worrying about what's going on at the bar, you know? And once again, man, like I don't, I'm never here to like judge or, you know, how people spend their times up to them. No, Um, I don't think it's ever really come off that way. I mean, in the three hours that you spent last time you were here, the numerous times I've spoke spoke to you since, and I'm not in, not anticipating you say that today. Like it's, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the, the almost like the the judging because it's not that I thought that you as a sober person would be judgmental of somebody, but there is a a misconception, I think, even if it's just like a casual one that. You know, some people are the, the you know the the people that you know once it's not their thing, they don't want it to be anyone else's. Well, thing. right, and listen, and man, that I, is true in some cases. Yeah, and I get it. Like, you know, I think it's kind of part of my like 
you know, some of my, my mental pitfalls, you know, I always feel not always, but there's a lot of times I feel like people are out to, out to get me or people are, you know, talking shit about me behind my back, which is sometimes very true. Um, but that is something that I struggle with is because I do advocate so heavily for, you know, people working on themselves and concentrating on self-awareness and, you know, not letting their addictions get the best of them and, you know, potentially getting into a life of recovery, if that makes sense for them. I do, I do sometimes find it hard to engage with like my direct peers and my friends and, and, and people that are in my life in my like direct circle sometimes and not anyone specific. Like I'm not saying that's going on right now, but there are certainly times where there are people that I, I know or have known or interacted with a lot that did have drinking problems that did have drug problems. And as someone who speaks very openly about my own struggles, I have wanted to, and I have said things to people before, but I, I, and, and, it, and a lot of times it, it works out really well because I am good at kind of handling it in a very tender kind of gentle way and not making someone feel attacked or judged. But the last thing I want is for people to think that I'm constantly like, Hey, what, what are you drinking over there? Hey, what's going on over there? What are you up to? Is that your third? Yeah, you have another drink. <laughs> hey, how you feeling today? Hey, yeah. you, you know, what did you get into last night? Like, I like busting people's chops, but I do that just out of because that's the person I am. Yeah. But I'm never like, I'm never like trying to. I'm not always analyzing what people are doing because I don't. At the end of the day, I don't really care. Like, if you're happy doing what you do, then go fucking do it. It doesn't matter to me. If you're my friend and you feel like you need to reach out to me and you think that my strength can help you, well, then I'll be there for you. But I'm not going to impose that on you. That's not my place. You know, if I do feel like someone is getting to a point where, like, they are a danger to themselves, well, of course I'm going to say something to them. But I feel like anyone that calls you a calls himself a good friend to somebody should do that, drinking or not. You should be concerned about somebody's well-being if they're a, a danger to themselves, you know. But I never try to, like always look at what that, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to always examine people and what they do. So I have to be mindful or I feel like I need to be mindful when I do bring that stuff up or I talk about it with somebody because I don't want that to, that to be the thing. Like I'm some of this like judgy, like huh, I'm the big sober guy and I'm going to make yeah. you feel crappy about the fact that you went out and got drunk two nights in a row. Like, I don't care. You know, be happy. Do you, do you, if you're fine with it, then be fine with it. You know, it's, well, I think it's a, you do kind of have to like walk on eggshells, so to speak. And not even just because of the drinking topic or the drugs. It's anything Yeah. like you can't, people don't want to hear that they're fucking up, it, nope. especially the ones who are well aware of it and are still denying. Right. Oh, they absolutely. don't want to hear that. Like you can't, you can't go up to somebody who is like really, really overweight and has really bad eating habits. And yeah. like, hey man, you're getting too old to eat this way. Yeah. And you're already overweight. You gotta if you want some longevity yeah. in this, you gotta start making some changes. No one wants no. to hear that. No. And I you know, and I think that's a, a really good point because that goes along with any of that stuff. Yeah. Any vice that we really as people, as human beings, succumb to and really let get the better of us, it's hard to have that sort of like actual actualization with yourself. Yeah. It's hard to hear your friends or your family or your wife or your husband or whatever partner say to you, Hey, I'm concerned about you. Your, your eating habits are out of control or, Hey, I've noticed you've been drinking a lot. Are you okay? Like I'm worried about you. 
That's hard yeah. to hear. How many packs a day are you up to now? Right. I mean, you're what, smoking I mean, a lot you... of cigs, right? Like whatever it might be. Hey, you went to the casino three times last week. You lost, you know, yeah. our These mortgage. Are not... These are not healthy procedures. No, those are healthy terrible. Things. They're terrible things and they can be so detrimental to not only yourself, but everything around you, you know? And I think that where people struggle a lot and don't realize, especially in the early stages of recovery, is a lot of the a lot of what goes into really, you know, reclaiming your life, and I've said that before, is having those conversations with yourself. And that's hard. That's really hard to do. You know, I've I had to get used to doing that and start holding myself accountable for things. And in you know, the early stages of my sobriety, and that was that was a tough pill to swallow. You know, looking at looking in the mirror and going, you are going to correct this stuff because you are an embarrassment. Now, I'm only talking about myself. I'm not saying that people that are struggling are embarrassments. I'm saying that's how I felt. I felt like I was an embarrassment not only to myself, but to people in my life. I thought that I was a letdown. I thought that I was a lot of things. Any number of terrible things, I thought them that stuff about myself. And it only really started to like click for me And after I started to kind of not kind of, after I started to hold myself accountable and truly follow through on that. Because there were countless times, Joe, where I I would look in the mirror, you know, and I talked about this last time I was on, where I would look in the mirror and I would go, all right, dude, another banger weekend, let's go, we're going to drink, we're going to party, and then Monday we're going to get that shit together because you are a mess, dude. You are a drunk and you're going to clean your act up, and Monday we're going forward, life's going to get better, we're going to start putting money in the bank, we're going to start going to the gym, no more drinking, and that Monday never came. Now, I wasn't ready. I didn't have the strength in me to actually follow through on what I was trying to hold myself accountable, but you, in order to, I think you know, and I can only speak on what I've done, you know, because everybody's their own person and everyone's got to find their own way. But for me, when it really started to click and really started to sink in was when I actually followed through on that accountability for myself. But that's such a difficult thing to do because we're not conditioned. Nobody gives you that sort of advice. Your parents aren't telling you that you're eventually going to have to start holding yourself accountable. And they may, certainly nowadays, but I mean, our generation, nobody was talking about that stuff. Nobody said, hey, you're going to have to, you know, keep your... Suck it up was our national Yeah, shuck it up. What are you, (laughs) what are you, crying? What are you, you know, oh, you're sad? Get over it. Come on. dirt on it. Get back in there. Well, right. Like, (laughs) there was nothing about that sort of stuff. And it's not to say that our parents failed us or did did anything wrong. They were doing the best they could with the information they had at the time. Everybody, like, like, people in, people in 2023, I almost said 2022, I'm still not used to it yet. People in 2023 look at people in 2005 and like a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah. People in 2005 were looking at everyone in the 90s saying, how are you doing that? Yeah, people right. in the 90s were looking at people in the 70s. Yeah. People in the 70s looking at people in the 50s. People skipped the 50s. over the 80s, dude. The 80s was the best. It was. Um, I still skipped it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it spoke for itself. Yeah, there was nothing fine. wrong. All right, all right. There was clearly right. nothing you're wrong right. in Sorry, the 80s. You're right. Clearly nothing wrong in the Never. 80s. Never. But that's, you know, you're, we're doing exactly, I mean, our society, our country, whatever, is doing the same thing that people are supposed to do. We're trying to develop and get a little bit better and learn from everyone else's mistakes, which yeah. is why a lot of the woke stuff does kind of make me laugh because, you know, when someone's like, can you believe what Abe Lincoln did? Like, Abe, it, really? Right. 
This dude was doing what he's doing the same thing that you're doing right now, which was he's doing what everyone. Bill Maher had a real funny breakdown of this, and I didn't think about it this way, but it was he was talking about like slavery and things yeah. like that. He's like, you know who would have had a slave back in that day? You. You know why? Because everyone did. Yeah. <laughs> you know who doesn't now? All of us. You know why? Because none of us do. Because we're not supposed to. Yeah. We learn from. It's like stuff like that. But like in terms of those, and I, you said it yourself. Every Monday, you would tell yourself, this is what Monday is when I'm going to turn around. Yeah. So you knew that it was a problem. Oh, yeah. But there's a different piece of that, which is not just, it's not just the want, it's the the ability to. Like, right. I remember the thing that really, the two things that stuck out the last time that you were here was in three hours when you were literally going through your entire sobriety journey to get yeah. there. You only hours. cried when you talked about your dog, Oscar. Yeah. My, my boy. Yeah. But then um, I remember you also, the thing, other thing that stood out to me was the no-haul for you to go to a hospital and say, look, I am an alcoholic, but I don't think I should just stop drinking. I think it's that bad. Right. I think my body will shut well, down. Well, and I think that, you know, everything was such a blur back then, but I think I I had, I had, clearly had looked that up or had enough of an understanding sure, of yeah, how yeah. bad my drinking was to have that sort of knowledge. There, Which is funny, you were looking it up. Well, right, I must yeah. have been. I mean, it, it, I, I can't even fathom, and, and I don't know that I said this last time, but I've certainly said it quite a bit in you know telling him my story and whatnot. But, dude, I can't even fathom how I functioned in the world like every day with how much I drank. And like the fact that I was able to walk around like that without anyone really saying anything not to me. Not that it's anyone else's responsibility. Like, yeah. I made my choice to do that and drink that much and live my life that way. It wasn't anyone else's obligation to say, hey, Tony, come on, stop drinking. What's the matter with you? Which, you know, is you know goes back to what we were talking about with, like, Aunt Sally or whatever her name was, is that people only really ever want to talk about it, and it's getting better, but... For the longest time, people only ever really wanted to talk about it until it was like this glaring problem. Couldn't ignore it. Well, right. because Right. They got another DUI. They got in a fight with their spouse. They got fired from another job. They Arrested got in a again. fist fight at the family yeah. party, right? Because then they're a pariah, right? Then they're an embarrassment. Then, they're, then it is something that's unavoidable. But people, like we said, are so afraid or have been so afraid to have those conversations that they would just let it slide, you know? And like, I, you know... It, it scares me to think like, had I not had that epiphany or that moment where I was like, I'm going to reclaim my life where I would have ended up, you know, had I not done that and had I not actually had the strength from wherever the hell it came from to continue that path and like keep myself strong and that resolve to stay sober and not go back to this like wild maniac party boy drinking face guy. I don't know where I would be, man. Like, I, I literally feel like I, I probably would have ended up in jail. Like, I would have gotten in some sort of terrible car accident or DUI or something. I mean, the percentages were in your favor, for well, sure. Right. Or, you know? I, or I would have succumbed to some severe medical problems yeah. and maybe died. I mean, it, like we talked about before we got on, you know, the actual recording here, is like that sort of life, that sort of drinking whether you want to acknowledge it or not, or drug use, whatever it is, isn't sustainable. You can't live, you can live that way. And lots of people do it, but it's eventually going to catch up with you in one way or the other. And man, I, I tell you, I, there are a couple things in my life, obviously Oscar, my sobriety, another one of them, like that I am eternally thankful for being able to have as a part of my life, you know, like 
it isn't like we talked about earlier, like it isn't my identity, but it damn sure is something that I acknowledge as a huge feat of strength and something I'm very proud of, you know, and it's, it's something that led me to kind of where I'm at in my life now, which is working at, you know, a recover at a recovery center. I yeah. know that you and I kind of talked about this a little bit, um, a couple of days ago or whatever it was, but, uh, so in, what was it? It was, I think f- this time last year, actually, uh, I, s- got uh, certified with the State Board of Mental Health and Addiction Services uh, as a peer supporter. Um, so I was when I when I left you know my other job and kind of you know shifted gears and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, you know I contemplated going back to school because as I got further and further away from my addiction, I started to feel this like just overwhelming desire to want to like give back and want want to help other people that are struggling. You'd mentioned that actually last yeah, time. Yeah, right? I, I think I want to... It's casual. You're like, that may be something I want to get into. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know what that looked like, yeah. man. Like, I had no idea. You know, the only thing I could even think of without really having even looked into it back then was, well, I'm going to go back to school, you know, which for me, as someone who never did much college at all, if any, I would have had to start from scratch, you know, and that would have been six years or more because I would have had to gone, you know, based on what I thought I wanted to do, which was become, you know, a counselor or whatever, you're looking at a master's, right? I think. So I was like, that's really not, I don't want to be almost 50. Well, I don't want to be in my, my mid forties and just starting out. Not to say that people can't do that. But for me, I was like, that just seems like so much time and so much money. And I just don't, I never really was great at school, even though I'm a pretty sharp guy. Like school is just never my, it was never my bag. It was never something I really liked. I didn't like studying. I didn't like that whole stuff. Now I'm an adult, so that could be different. And it did end up. Well, this is something I think also that I'd be willing to bet that you would be more inclined. Because school a lot of times doesn't mean that, like if you don't do well in school, it doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you, like for me, I still think I have an undiagnosed case of, of, ADD. Yeah. Or ADHD? Yeah, ADHD. I, I don't know. All right. Either way, I, 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 all I, I already letters, lost my train of All the letters and stuff. Yeah, I already lost my train. I already yeah. forgot what yeah, I was talking about. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think when it's something that you're you're into, yeah. like I think it would be different yeah, that, no, that's this, a good time, point, this time around. You're kind of like- But I still know what you're saying. Yeah, because yeah. you, you're kind of forced to go to school yeah. because that's what you do. And you know, if you're not engaged in something, you, you tend to not. Anyways, I- so I, I, I was looking into school, and I'm like, all right, try C. I'm going to go back and start there and see how it works out. Well, a buddy of mine called me kind of out of the blue, and he he said to me, he goes, hey, have you ever heard of peer support? And I said, no, man, I don't, I don't know what that is. I mean, I, I can deduce what it means, but I don't – in what context? He goes, well, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and this guy had been in the military for a while, um, and he was talking to a guy he served in the military with who was a peer supporter – in his like, I don't know, in his regiment or something for, you know, people that were now back in the States. I don't know exactly what it was, but he mentioned that he had mentioned my name to this friend of his and he wanted to know if I was interested in talking to this guy about this peer support thing. So I was like, yeah, man, sure. Give him my number. And the guy called me like the next day, if not sooner, might've even been later that night. Um, And we had a really nice conversation about what peer support is. And essentially you know, a peer supporter is somebody who lives a life of recovery, uh, and that can mean anything. It can be a life of recovery from addiction. It can be somebody that lives in a constant recovery from mental health illness or a combination of both. Um, and it is, like I said, it is something that is a certified 
role with the State Board of Mental Health and Addiction. You actually have to take a course. It's 40 hours and then a series of online workshops. You have to pass all of them and you have to do a two week, two week, 40 hour course, um, five days, you know, 10 days. Uh, and then you have to take a big, huge test and you have to, you know, get a certain percentage, you know, a pretty high percentage, actually, from what I remember. And then you get your certificate and you can actually get a job as a peer supporter. Um, as far as I have understood, you know, over the past 10 years, maybe a little longer than that, the role of a peer supporter has been acknowledged nationally to be something that applied in tandem with clinicians and counselors and, you know, CDCAs and, you know, the things that people uh, look at or are more associated with recovery. It can be that role can be incredibly effective and even even more so than other roles in certain situations and certainly while working with the other ones because it gives somebody that is struggling, gives somebody who has lost themselves in their addiction and in their mental health illness the opportunity to connect with somebody that may not be able to relate exactly but certainly can offer that empathy because they've kind of been there in their own struggle. Yeah. Um, so as I got a little more immersed in that and kind of understanding what it really was, I was like, wow, what a amazing role. And what, I mean, that's tailor-made for me. Like, that's a beautiful thing. I, mean, I was already kind of doing that in my advocacy and my outspokenness about my sobriety anyways. So when I, you know, so I got into the class, I did it, nailed the test, got my certificate. And then a very, very dear friend of mine uh, and somebody I've known since back in my raver days, uh, whose name is also Tony, Tony Korea. Um, he and I were raver kids, like I said, way back in the day, did all kinds of crazy drugs together and partying in warehouses all over this side of the country and just being incredibly irresponsible at very young ages. Um, he got sober, I think, a year before I did, and he ended up really becoming a pillar of the this sober community in Cleveland and now nationally. Um, and in, you know, like I said, somebody who's an incredible inspiration to me. When he found out that I had gotten my peer support certification, he said, well, why don't you come work for me at B. Riley, the sober house that he had opened up? Now, B. Riley started out at just a sober house, from what I understand, and then it, begot, it got so popular, it's, it changed into two or a larger one, and then he ended up taking over an entire building uh, on 117th and Berea Road. Um, and... You know, he was like, you got to come here and work for me. Come work for me. Come be a peer support. And I was like, man, I don't know. I, I, but it doesn't, I don't know if I can make that work right now. I just got my certification. You know, I'm opening up a, a brewery. Or I think I was already at Immigrant Sun. Uh, we had just opened um, not too long ago. So I wasn't really in a place. And then it wasn't until not too long ago. I think it was September. He finally, he almost like didn't give me an option, which I'm thankful that he kind of, and like I said, he and I have been friends for so long that, you know, he's able to kind of give me shit in the way he did. He's like, you're coming to work here. And I was like, all right, well, let me come in and talk to you and see what that looks like. So I went in and, you know, sat down with him and sat in his office and I was, you know, really taken aback because I didn't really know how big of an operation, like how big it had gotten. And I didn't really know what it even entailed, to be honest with you. So like when I walked in there, I was like, oh my God, there's a lot of residents here. And look at like the structure and look at everything that they have here and all the good they're doing. And I, I was I actually brought Oscar with me because you know I just don't leave him anywhere. Um, and we sat there and we talked and he said, What can you give me? Like how much 
time? What days? And I said, well, I can do one day a week. And then I thought, ah, one day is not going to be as effective. Let's do two. And he even said, he goes, don't overcommit yourself. Yeah. He goes, if you can't do two, don't. And I said, no, we'll do Tuesdays, nine to five. We'll do Wednesdays, nine to three. Then I can have, you know, because I'm off on Thursday. So I was like, all right, well, I got the whole Wednesday night and then I got all my Thursday. That'll be my time, right? And I didn't have any idea really. I mean, you know, they tell you in the training uh, what your role is, but I didn't really know. I didn't know any other peer supporters. I had never worked in recovery. I don't know the first thing about it. I'm a fucking bartender restaurant guy. You know, I don't know anything about that. So I remember like, you know, talking to my dad about it afterwards. And I'm like, well, dad, I guess I'm going to go do this. You know, this, I signed up for it. It's, it's go time. You know, my father, you know, and I have always been very thankful for my father and his constant, constant, constant support of me, um, in my, in my worst and in my best. My dad has always been in my corner. Um, maybe even sometimes when he shouldn't have been, you know, but you know, I'm his only son. I'm his firstborn child. My father has always been very, you know, supportive. Anyways, he was like, well, Tone, if anybody can figure this out, it's going to be my son. And, you know, I did. I, I remember heading, heading into work that first day, not really having any clue what I was going to cons- consume my time with. And everybody was incredibly, incredibly kind, you know, as we were kind of feel- feeling each other out. And, you know, anybody that knows me, I- I'm pretty warm and I'm pretty kind myself. And, you know, I engage with pretty people pretty easily. So, you know, I kind of put myself out there and I started to introduce myself around, especially sure. to my colleagues. I wasn't really working directly with any of the residents at that point because I didn't know any of them and I didn't really know what I was supposed to even do. Um, so thankfully there was a, at that time, there was another peer support uh, guy who was full time there. Um, and there was an, a woman who was doing peer support in a part-time capacity. Um, and they both did a very good job of kind of helping me to kind of understand what they did. And they took me to two of the sober houses and introduced me to some of the residents. And even on that first day, I was able to connect with a bunch of people. And there's people that are still, you know, because that hasn't really been that long. I mean, that was the end of September, early October, um, when I actually started my first day. Um, and uh, there are still people that are still working their program that are really doing um, well in their recovery that I met in that first week. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, it, it, and it is, you know, it, it, you know, it's such a, I've done a lot of cool shit in my life, right? Like I'm proud of the man I am at 39 years old. You know, it's took me, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that and actually really mean it. You know, a lot of times back in the day, you know, I defined my, my happiness with the crazy stories I did and all knowing all these people and going to parties and going to cool restaurants. But I really wasn't proud of myself. I was actually pretty disgusted with myself. But nowadays, especially now with where my life is now, like I love, you know, my job at the, the brewery is, is awesome. I love Immigrant Son. It's a great thing. I'm happy to help my buddy Andy, you know, you know, make that happen and see his vision coming to light and being a part of the team there. And it's a necessary thing because financially it's just, you know, I, I'm used to a certain expectation of how I like to live. I have a mortgage, you know, I don't have a wife. I don't have anyone else to fall back on. So I have to make a certain amount of money. And sadly, you know, recovery doesn't pay very well, which we'll get into that. But why would it? <laughs> well, right. I mean, you know, you're helping people out and saving people's lives potentially, yeah. but we're not going to give you Why any money it? for it, right? 
And that's the not B. Riley's yeah, fault. The shock girl at the right, bar but probably that's, you know, makes that's more. Just how the, and that's any, you know, that's the medical field and certainly the recovery it field is. just in yeah, general. It is. You know, social workers all suffer from that sort of thing. Teachers. I mean, there's a lot of people that do amazing work that helps move and shape the world and the country that don't get compensated anywhere nearly what they should. And it's it's a travesty, but that's just what it is. Hopefully it'll get better. But I, I, I remember, you know, after that first week or so kind of sitting there and going well holy shit tone like this is cool like this is this is some of the most amazing work you have ever done you have accomplished a goal of not only getting yourself into a place where you're proud of who you are but now you're also helping other people and it took me a couple of weeks to really realize that I actually was being beneficial because at first I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just me. It's like bullshit. Well, you're clunking you. along. You don't really, well, I didn't know. really know. You don't you know, know what I mean? And yeah. I hadn't seen any, but I hadn't really established a rapport with anybody enough right in that first couple of weeks where I felt like I was actually connecting with anybody. I thought, eh, they're talking to me because they kind of have to or because I'm around. But then, you know, the residents started to actually like get in contact with me. And like ask me to help them with stuff and rely on me to kind of help them navigate through things that they felt they needed that support there. And that's what the peer support role is there for. Um, And man, I'll tell you, like now having been doing it, you know, quite a few months now, more than that, I mean, I can't I can't wait to see where I go from this. And where this takes me, you know, right now where my life is and the things that I'm doing is I, I need this to kind of stay the way it is. And I'm happy for that because it, it, it is allowing me to, you know, like I said, financially keep myself where I need to be. But I'm able to still have the time and the energy to really focus on this new thing, which is still very, very new to me. But I also feel very custom made for it. And, dude, it, it's so rad. I mean, just the amount of things that I'm learning, not only about you know, addiction, recovery, but also the things that I'm learning about myself. And, you know, as I, as I get to know the, the, the residents there and the things I'm learning from my colleagues there, you know, it, it really is helping me to even be stronger in my resolve to continue to stay sober. Um, and, you know, being able to apply that strength I mean, I can't, you know, for confidentiality reasons, I can't get into like the specifics of the residents' struggles. But, oh, yeah, sure. But some of the stories, some of the things that some of these men and women have been through, are, it, 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 it just it makes me, it like shakes me to my core when you think about how society has just almost taken, like turned a blind eye to people, and not just the people at B. Riley, but anyone that has gotten to that point, and that's just where they are. Like it's, it's, it's terrifying to think that we have, we were at such a point where we just turned a blind eye to this stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very, very sad. And B. Riley, it's not, it's something I I wanted to mention earlier is a very like LGBT centered center. We take all people. I mean, we have, you know, allies, there's straight people, there's gay people, there's all kinds of different people at B. Riley, but it is very focused towards the LGBT community because it is a community that needs that support. And there's plenty of sober facilities that are for everybody but aren't necessarily as safe of a place for the community. Okay, that was my question. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not that there's, you know, I don't know because I have no frame of reference. I've never worked at another, another recovery center, but from what I've come to understand, there are a lot of sobriety, recovery, especially a treatment facility, 
you have to, I mean, you can only, I'm sure you can imagine there are people that are struggling with lots of things there, right? So you're already in a very vulnerable place. And if you factor in people's horrible stereotypes and, you know, judgments of people's lifestyles outside of their addiction, it can become a very, very scary place for someone that's already terrified, right? So, oh well, yeah, I mean, how is your yeah? How, how is your recovery going to go when you're already uncomfortable? Because right, then you have recovery somebody... if you don't feel like an outside factor that doesn't have right. anything or right. definitely shouldn't have anything to do with your recovery is now becoming a factor. Well, right, you have it all of a sudden got a lot harder. Right, yeah, you have somebody saying homophobic things yeah. or chastising your choices of what you do or wear or who you love or you know what you you identify your identity in, in any sort of context. Sure, so. That's, I think, you know, people have asked me, you know, friends of mine and people that know that I've been, you know, at, at B. Riley, you know, what it's like. And, you know, as, as, as hectic as it can be, as chaotic as it can be sometimes, B. Riley is something that is essential, I think, to where we should want to see ourselves in the future. And it's not me like trying to like, you know, plug them. It's me being genuine. When I see what they do there and what now I'm a very small part of accomplishing there. It really is very, very, very important work. And I, and I, I couldn't be more proud of Tony for taking himself to this point and being able to offer a service to his community and, the, and people that really need what B Riley offers, because it is true. There are, there are plenty of centers for straight people to go to straight people can go wherever they want. Right. And straight people can go to B Riley, but there aren't many centers that are centered around the LGBT, you know, community. So it, it is such a beautiful thing. And, you know, as much as there are times where I'm like, God damn it, I wish I had, you know, <laughs> that extra day off or I wish I had more time to sit at home with Oscar. I always find that I always find such joy in waking up Tuesday mornings and getting myself ready and heading in there yeah. and like putting on my lanyard with my little peer support thing on it. And, you know, going in there and, you know, as my my dad, you know, going in and doing God's work tone, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm doing somebody's work. I it, and it hey. but it is it is really 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 amazing and I'm really 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 thankful for it. Now, you know, where that takes me, like I said, I'm really excited about that. You know, there are there are, there are a couple different options. So, after X amount of bizarrely high hourly requirements, I can take another level of peer support, which is like a peer support super supervisory role, supervision role, whatever. Um, and then I could oversee other peer supports and like help them to get acclimated to the role. Right. But I think you have to log like through Medicaid, like 2,000 hours or something like that, which if I was full time, that wouldn't be that much, but I'm only there two days a week. I'm 14 hours a week. That's not, that's going to take me a long time. So I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what Tony said. And then there's, you know, the, the other option is there are a number of certifications you can get with the state board of mental health and addiction that are, aren't college courses like your your CDCA which is like a drug and alcohol counselor you there's a first and second level and i think the second level you have to have some level of college degree in order to progress but i could be wrong about that too um and i have i i paid for the first level CDCA and i'm almost halfway through the course you have an entire year to take it but it's bizarre to me they send you the workbook right and it's this big huge thing with you know 
all these different chapters and all these different things about different drugs. And then you get into like the actual counseling side of it. But they also then give you your answer key and they say literally in the instructions, fill out the answer key as you read through the coursework. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's easy. It's time consuming, but easy because it's like essentially an open book test. Then you can become a CDCA. Now, the way that like the billing works, the hourly thing works, you can't do both. So if I wanted to be a CDCA, I couldn't do peer support too. So initially, when I first came on to B-Rally and I saw the counselors doing group and stuff, and essentially that's when all the residents, they go and they sit and they, they go over, you know, trauma triggers and this stuff, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of different life lessons and stuff in regards of the counseling. I'm not in those meetings, so I don't really know exactly what they cover. I'm very focused on what my role is there. Um, but I could start to do that stuff. So initially, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Like, that sounds great. I'd love to have group. But now, even though as a CDCA, I'd probably I'd get paid a little bit more, I don't know that I want to do that. Yeah, that's – okay. I, I kind of saw that's where yeah, you were going. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that – I. I don't think – I would like those roles as much. I really think that there is something very, very special and very, very unique and very important to recovery and this peer support role. Now, I'm I'm new to it. I'm not saying I got it all figured out or I know something that a lot of people that have done it already haven't figured out already. But for me, at least, there is something about the strength of somebody like myself that the way we're able to connect with people is something that really brings, like I see it, I see it in the residents. Like when I'm able to engage with them and really establish a rapport, how beneficial our relationship becomes to them and to me too. And I don't know that I want to step away from that. And one of my, one of my colleagues there, um, Christina, the intake manager, her and I were talking about it because she's doing her peer support certification right now too. And she said to me, almost I think unprovoked, I don't think I even brought it up. She was like, you know, you're doing something really special here. She goes, there's there's a way that you connect with people that other people are never going to be able to do. Now, I don't know if she necessarily meant me or just a peer supporter. Sure. Maybe she meant both. Either way, I was flattered and I was very touched because she's someone that's been doing this a while now. Another thing cool about B. Riley is that every single one of the people I work with, they're all in recovery. They're all people that have. I assumed. Uh, I, I, you right, you would right. So the the and the reason and we were talking about like the college courses yeah, can yeah. get certified things like that, and that's one of those things that to me, I understand. You kind of have to understand maybe like the clinical, yeah, medical, psychological side of a lot of these things. But to me, it's almost like, and it, it's it's a shitty term in this scenario. Yeah. The real world experience is actually where, like to me, it's just like I'm glad that you have this degree. But I need to talk to the guy that's right. physically and actually been through the problem that I'm going through right. right now to talk me about how he got out of well, it. Well, right. Not somebody who has a double doctorate in something, but that's you know, still t- taking pills and yeah. drinking his face off. Yeah, like and, and, that's that's what I need, and that's why again I understand the the, the credit because I mean the credentialing part of it I think also has to just be with probably legal and covering themselves and well, things sure. like that. But to me, that's just like. It's, I just assumed everybody that was counseling in recovery was in recovery. Yeah, yeah. Who you, else can do that? Yeah, I mean, you, you're right, and I and I think you know, I think there are plenty of people 
I would assume there are plenty of people that work in recovery fields or associated with some sort of addiction service that drink or do, you know, drugs, you know, and whatever good for them, I suppose, if it's something they can do and still manage to help people, then good on them. You know, I think for what B. Riley is, you know, the strength of the staff unified in, in our recovery and our sobriety is an amazing thing, yeah. you know, and it, it is, you know, one of the big things about peer support and I'm sure they, in the other courses, they probably teach this too, but one of the biggest tools that, that I know that I have is being able to model what sobriety can look like to somebody that's new to their sobriety or somebody that's continuing to work on their sobriety is showing the things that you can accomplish if you apply yourself and if you start to hold yourself accountable and you step away from something that is destroying your life, you know? Um, once again, you know, I'm just some guy. I'm not trying to, like, make myself out to be like, oh, my God, look at me. I'm some sort of, like, you know, great example. But no, you're talking about your experiences, and the experiences are, I think, they're, they're twofold. Is that how yeah. you're feeling and the reaction you're getting from someone else? Yeah. And again, this isn't like going – this is like like I started a new job two months ago. Yeah. If someone's like, hey, you're doing a good job, I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Right. You know, because I'm not changing someone's life. I'm doing the job that I was hired to do. Right. You know, this is – and this is such a delicate thing. This it is. This is not a – I don't know what the percentages are, but, you know, relapsing is not uncommon. Well, listen. You know, that that's a, that's a thing. Another thing that they teach you, and I did not know this until I went through the course, is that one of the, one of the steps of recovery is relapse. It's an offshoot because it doesn't need to be, but it is something that is – a lot of times expected because people get so immersed in their addiction. People, yeah. people look to their addictions, whether it's drugs or alcohol or both, as their best friend a lot of times. Yeah. You don't have anything else. You are so used to a certain way of living that to think about any way of living outside of that is absolutely bizarre. So stepping away from it can be absolutely impossible to even think about, let alone achieve, right? Sorry. What a good dog. <laughs> I know what you want, buddy. I'm trying to get you. He's a good boy. Come on. Let's go. Look up here. Um, but yeah, man, I, you know, so I, I really think that I know myself pretty well at this point, and I'm thankful for that. I don't, I will finish my first level CDCA for sure, just because I already paid 200 bucks to get the course book and do all that shit. I'm going to finish it, but I, I, I do not think that I will stop doing peer support. I think that's... Go ahead. No, I... I, I when you were describing it, yeah. I kind of saw that's where you were yeah, going. Yeah, Because like, you said, I can't do both. Yeah, and I don't... I don't I, well, you can't, like, based on how Medicaid bills... Yeah, that's... Yeah. You, like, you just can't. Like, you couldn't do peer support and counseling at the same time. And I understand that because they wouldn't want people to double dip, like, doing two jobs at the sure, same time. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. But probably because like what your buddy Tony had said, like, don't burn yourself out right. here. This is, well, you know, and that's a big thing that, you know, you, you want to talk about a, a supportive place to work. Yeah. You need a mental health day. You take a mental health day and they teach you very early on in the course. One of the first days when, you know, it's moderated by two different peer supporters, people that have been in the role, been in the industry, the recovery field for a long time that are in sobriety recovery themselves. The two, the man and the woman that did our course, they said one of the first days, was you have to make sure that you are looking out for yourself as you take on this role because you are not going to be effective if you start to yes. slip back. And that can, that's not necessarily just saying drinking, but if your mental health starts to suffer, if you start to, you know, 
fall into bouts of depression. You're not going to be as effective. So you have to make sure you prioritize your own mental well-being and your own recovery. That could be a domino effect in a group of people that are already kind of at a fragile well, right. stage. If I start to slip, right, and I yeah. go in there and I'm talking about drinking and how I'm going to – I'm triggered or, shit, I relapse. Yeah. How effective am I going to be? I'm not modeling anything other than, sure, I'm a human being and I made a mistake and I and I relapsed, but I'm not embodying what the role of a peer supporter sure. is. You know, so it's so bizarre too. Like I ended up going from being one of three to being the only peer supporter. Um, so, you know, I was very, very quickly, very not gun shy, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I was very clear about not having any idea of what I was doing. And all of a sudden, I was kind of like thrown into, well, you're the only peer support, so you just kind of have to figure it out. I had a lot of support. I had a lot of people that were giving me advice and showing me things and giving me pointers of how I should do certain things and, you know, the right ways to go about it. And I'm very thankful for that because it wouldn't have been as easy for me to figure out had I not had that level of support. Um, You know, and then Tony, you know, like I said earlier, he and I have a very long, long term relationship, a friendship that I forever will be thankful for. And he and I have a very unique banter with one another. So when I was the only peer support, immediately I was pulled in the office and it was like, all right, when you come in here full time. Yeah. And I'm like, Tony, I just, man, I love you and I love this role. And eventually maybe that'll happen. But right now, financially, I can't make that make sense for myself. It just doesn't work. I have a mortgage. I have a car payment. I have things I like to do. I have things that I'm trying to accomplish in my home. There's debt I'm trying to pay off. And as much as I love the role and I didn't set out to do it to make this windfall of money, I need to make sure that I'm comfortable and I'm taking care of myself and, and Oscar. Um, you know, and, and trust me, the fact that that he wanted me to come there full time was a huge, a huge thing for me. I felt really honored and I was like, clearly I'm fitting into the role well and I'm being acknowledged for having some sort of at least giving the impression I know what I'm doing and, and it meant a lot to me but it just right now you know and I like I said they, it just they it doesn't pay you know what I mean and it's sad because my sobriety to me is priceless and if it's acknowledged that someone in recovery helping other people that are struggling is so effective, how come there isn't more compensa- compensation for it? I mean, I, I, who I, knows? I Cause, yeah. well, cause it's, I think anything like, cause it, like the, this, uh, it, it's not privately owned. Is it? I'm not really sure what the exact structure is. I mean, my I know guess that is I think a lot of them himself, get, but, I think a lot of those, I think, and I'm just talking, I have no idea, are similar to nonprofits, yeah. which I think then falls under state regulatory. Yeah. So I, there's probably limitations. Like I know that mo- like the work that we all do is billed to Medicaid, and then they. That would be, I think, I think how that, is, but I don't know. You know, that's not, I'm not a part of those conversations, nor do I really want to be because it I honestly think seems because like more it's billed to Medicaid, it's, it's, it's Dumb example, but it's almost similar like a post office. It's like a state job. Yeah. So there might actually be limitations where maybe in a privately owned. Well, also, you know, because it's, I mean, how, I mean, if these people that are that are going in there are struggling, I mean, it's, they may not have a windfall of money to spend on their sobriety. Well, too. I don't think, as far as I know, I don't think any of the residents actually pay for this themselves. Okay. This is all from... Medicaid, because okay. the way that the billing works and stuff all comes from the state, so it is a state funded. I think, so but I, I don't want to misspeak. No, no, like, no. I, well, I, I know what you mean, though. You know what I mean. But if it is state and federal, it's not funded like people like are that. coming and going. Hey, 
B Riley services are five grand. Give us five yeah, grand. I'll take that sweet. Yeah, that's exactly, not how that works. Yeah. Um, but you know, I uh, like I said, I I think that if if there was a a way that I knew I would be more financially secure, of course Heartbeat, I would dive. Yeah. I would dive in 60 hours a week if I knew that I was going to be able to continue to live the way that I like to live. And, you know, I've, I've, I've provided for myself now in the past six and a half years of my sobriety, I've accomplished a lot, you know, and I, I've, I've gotten and achieved things that I've always wanted to have for myself. I bought a house, you know, I got myself a nice car. I mean, not like, you know, I got a nice Subaru, you know, I'm very proud of my car. I love hey, my man. car, you know, I, I, I'm, I just got a new car. Right. I am super proud that it, cause it's my yeah, new right. car. It's my, yeah, right. And that's something I always wanted to do for myself. You know, I think I said, you know, once again, when last time I was on the show, I, I, I made myself some promises when I was laying in that hospital bed of things that I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. You know, one of them was buy a house. One of them was get my credit in line. Was One was, you know, stay sober, get a bunch of tattoos. You know, there were a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish and I'm slowly chipping away at those things. And every time I knock one of those off, I'm, I'm even more proud of myself because I'm actually following through. And back in the day, I didn't follow through on shit. I said a million things and I did nothing. So now that I'm actually able to, to do these things and really, really achieve things that I want to, I don't want to offset that. I want to continue that forward trajectory and I'm doing it. So, you know, if, if Tony pulled me in the office, you know, in a couple, you know, Tuesday when I go in and say, Hey, they actually changed the pay structure where you, you can get $35 an hour. That'd be a different story. I don't know. 30. I'm just, that was just a number I threw out there, but if I could make it make sense, then I would probably do it. But right sure, now, yeah, yeah. you know, I was talking to Andy at Immigrant Sun this morning and I told him, I'm like, man, I am in such a good place. I love my job here. You know, I got my four shifts there. I'm there Monday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then I do Tuesday, Wednesday at B. Riley. And it couldn't be better. You well, know? you said it right there too. Like, I'm in a good place. Yeah. That's going to help with your, it may actually disrupt the harmony that you have and the help that you can do the two days a week that you are going there yeah. if your world gets disrupted right. too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and Andy even acknowledged, I mean, you know, this is a man that I've known since way back in the day in Tremont to the old Lola days, um, you know, the owner of Immigrant Son. He's even said it, especially the past couple weeks. You know, he's busy. He's got a million things going on. And, you know, I, I don't blame him for being pulled a million different ways with everything he's, you know, accomplished. He and his wife have. He even said, he goes, man, he goes, you seem like you're in a really good place lately, man. He goes, I'm really happy for you because I was really, really struggling with some stuff there for a while. Last year, you know, was was rough. I, I dealt with a lot of really bizarre, wacky, not good stuff. And, you know, I don't want to get into it just mostly because I can't. But um, I I was not. I was not in the best place mentally. Like I not, I never, never really had any moment where I was contemplating drinking or I would felt like my sobriety was in jeopardy, but I was not in a good place mentally. Like I was having some pretty, pretty severe bouts of depression. I was struggling with a lot of self-worth. I was really, really struggling in that regard. And, you know, I'm certainly not that still happens because I think it's just human nature. That stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you always are going to have doubts. You're always going to second guess yourself. You're always going to struggle. And, you know, and for the people that don't, well, good for you. I don't know how you do that, but <laughs> I am in a way better place now, and it it's refreshing as hell, man. Like I wake up most days, and I feel great, even in when I'm not at my best. I'm still way better than I was, and it's such a beautiful thing. You know, if couple uh, at the middle of October, um, you know, just to add 
even more tragedy to my bizarre 2022. I lost my mom. Uh, my mom passed after a incredibly long battle with dementia. And as much as it was a very sad thing to finally have to say goodbye to my mom, it was also one of the biggest things that I was concerned about being a trigger for my drinking. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it, man. And I will tell you what, and I'm probably going to get choked up here, but I, I, I know that I know my mother, my mother and I were very, very, very close and I love her so, so very, very, very much. And my mom was in recovery for a long time. She was very, very immersed in the AA. She was very, very, very active in that community. I know how fucking proud of me my mom would be. And it is such a motivator to me in my life. Um, you know, I, I never really got to share with her a lot of the things that I had accomplished since I got sober. I got sober when my mom was already kind of starting to take a pretty big downshift. Like she was still able to communicate. She still was able to walk around on her own, but she had kind of reverted to a more childlike kind of yeah. thing, which is, which sucks. It sucks to see your mother who raised you, who was this fighter and this, you know, incredibly powerful, fiery, you know, amazing human being and woman to somebody who was childish and, could barely kind of keep her thoughts in line. You know what I mean? So I know I had shared with her that I was sober and she certainly communicated to me that she was proud of me, but I don't know if she really understood. And then certainly as I started to hit even, you know, big strides and accomplish, like I was talking about accomplishing certain things like buying a house and, you know, getting my, you know, self in a good place financially and finding a, a job where I felt, you know, appreciated and at home, uh, I never really got to share any of those things with her. So, you know, it sucks, but I know that wherever she is, whatever that means, she's really, really proud of her son. And and that, like I said, that really fuels me and continues to drive me forward. You know, and I got to, you know, after all was said and done and we got her cremated and we had a nice service for her, uh, I got to take her ashes home. So in a way she kind of lives at home with me now. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a cool thing. I mean, I remember that day, man, what a bizarre fucking thing, dude, taking my mom's ashes and, uh, my mom's, one of my mom's youngest sisters, my aunt, I, who's my godmother and another a woman who's been like another mother to me and someone who I love to death. Um, you know, I asked her to pick out the urn for her sister. Um, and I, what a weird, you know, weird feeling taking that thing home with my mom's ashes in it. And Oscar is, I'm like, hey, say hi to grandma. And I'm like, oh, mom, here's the house. And I'm crying my eyes out. Oscar's jumping around like a lunatic. Um, but, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing to be able to, like, have my mom there. And, you know, I'm not the most religious person, but I'm certainly a spiritual guy. Yeah. You know, and I feel like, you know, in a way, you know, having her there, having her ashes there, I feel like she is kind of there with me, you know, and I, you know, I say, say good morning to her every night, every morning. Hey, that's a nice little, I mean, little hey man, it's working there. for me. I don't know. Hey. Having her there and being able to kind of, well, it's kind of like other things you've said, like, like you just said it right there. Like it's working for me, you know, I mean, I mean that that's what you need. You need the things that work for you. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's, you know, I have a huge support circle. I'm very fortunate to, to have, you know, the countless numbers of people in my corner, my friends, my family, you know, people I've encountered throughout my life that are in my corner and support me and continue to cheer me on in my endeavors. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have at the end of the day, even with all that, I, I feel a lot of times like I do only have myself. I have to continue to continue to 
push myself forward, you know? And for me, once again, that works, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately you, you, you're right. I mean, having a good support system, uh, it, it's, it's invaluable, but still at the end of the day, right. you're well, it goes back to like what we said, the, the person in a, what is what'd you say? Someone in a crowded room can feel alone in a crowded room. Well, right. I mean, it, that, I think it goes kind of back to that. I think most of us have felt that yeah. in some way or another, yeah. different degrees, you know, right. different levels of it. You know, I mean, I, I can remember being in, you know, a group of people in a huge party, everyone yeah. having fun, and I, I couldn't feel farther away from every single right. person in that room. Right. And like I, you're, you're a pretty social guy. I mean, yeah. you, you get along with people, but yeah. sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you're just not in that place, and yeah. being alone or being at home with your wife, your partner, your husband, whatever, your friends or your dog is the way that this. I mean, thing shit, dude, that's all I really do anymore. People are, oh, how come you never go out oh, anymore? How God, come you never man. go anywhere? I'm like, dude, I would rather be at home with Oscar almost than any- anywhere. I think you we know? were home at 7.52 on Friday. Yeah. And I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> we were, like, driving home, and we went to Fat Cats, and uh, uh, we're, like, driving home, and my wife's like, we also go out early. Like, yeah. we went to dinner at, like, 5.45. Yeah. Oh, I see your posts yeah. and stuff it's on social great. media. It's, like, you guys I'm, are at Sense Pizza at 5.15. Yeah. That's what I want. Now. Yeah. That's what I want. If I am yeah. still outside at 9.30, I'm lost. Yeah. People want to make dinner <laughs> plans. I'm like, yeah, I'll meet you there. When do they open? Four? Four. four. Great. I'll be the three thirty yeah, trying to get a table. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to go out to dinner at eight thirty yeah. at night. When it's nine o'clock, I want to be in bed with the dogs yeah. watching. We just got into West Wing. Watching West Wing. Yeah. You know, that right. that's that's what I want. I couldn't be happier for it because I, you know, there was so much, so much time involved in my life where it was like constantly this need to be out and about and doing this and doing that. I never wanted to be at home because I always wanted to be doing what everybody else was doing and out. Isn't that a wild like, thing to think about now? Like God, about dude, that how sounds so miserable. To it me. sounds horrible to yeah. me when someone's like, like, <laughs> like uh, uh, Brian um, Sternick. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he, Anyone doesn't know Brian, very, very funny comic. He's one of the best in the city. He runs this uh, uh, secret society comedy. It's every single, uh, I think it's every Saturday. But it's at a different place. It's really cool. They have yeah. good out-of-towners. And uh, I, I, I messaged him one day. I'm like, hey, any comedy shows going on tonight? Anything? He goes, Secret Society, man, 1130. I'm like, are there any other shows? Yeah, like, 1130? Get out of town. I'm not going go anywhere at 1130. I'm going to the bathroom to take a piss at 1130 and then going yeah, back to bed. I'm on my first yeah. pee of the day, yeah, of the I'm night. Not, like, yeah. 11, like, is there like a 7 o'clock show? Yeah, right. Anything <laughs> earlier, man? I'm tapped out by 1130. I'm I just can't. On the couch. But I, I remember, like, you know, just I was like, going out before 10 was, like, stupid. I'm like, no, no one's going to be there. Why don't I go out? No. And now I'm like. No. I need to be home by eight thirty. Yeah, like man, that's got, it's weird to think about. I gotta I get I gotta get my beauty sleep or whatever. Do you ever think that? Do you ever just kind of look at everything prior to six and a half years ago? Yeah. Or no, you actually include the the last six yeah. and a half years and just be like, I mean, addiction is just strange. Like it's a strange, and when I mean strange, it's and maybe you'll notice in some of the work that you've done. Sure. I know that like some addictions can be, you know, like if someone's like, well, alcoholism runs in the family. It's something that that you can maybe be more prone to. But has anyone ever looked at, is there like a genetic or DNA makeup that makes you more prone to it? Because I feel like, like you take 10 people, 10 people and you're partying together. We all have 10 friends or whatever that you went to high school with and college with. And then the one that never breaks out of it or two that don't break out of it or some people can just stop right away and like "Eh, i don't really care anymore i think that and you're right when you said is this something you've maybe learned in your yeah it's actually i think it was some one of the first first things in the cdca workbook was about 
or maybe it's I don't either way yes it has come up because there's the idea that of nature versus nurture yeah. and you learn that it's nature and nurture because there are so many factors that push people into the arms of addiction right and it isn't it there's no way to I think really figure out why somebody is more sure there are certain factors like surroundings for sure right, that it, I yes, understand your parents yeah. were alcoholic I mean my both my mom and dad yeah you know raving alcoholics my big into coke partiers yeah. So it didn't mean that I had to be, but it certainly was something I was predisposed potentially to yeah. fall into. And I did, right? My sister as well. I mean, we both have had our own struggles with addiction and my sister's, you know, doing great in her her sobriety too. Um, and she's a great mother and she's got her, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, I think that it it is very... It works very much in tandem, like I said very early on when we started talking. There's the element of mental mental health pitfalls and mental health illness that I think a lot of people don't really look at when it comes to why people turn to drugs and alcohol. If somebody's really, really super depressed, right, where's an outlet? If you don't know, one, that you even have that, how to process it, a support circle to help you understand it. You're too young or it was never something that was brought up. Well, drugs and alcohol will be your friend. They'll help you to escape, right? So I think that a lot of times the reason that people fall into drugs and alcohol are because of underlying mental health issues. Drugs and alcohol make mental health issues worse or can oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. trigger things. Those that, usually walk hand in hand, yeah. Well, right. It's, you know, it's, it's a cyclical thing, right. you know? And once you once you fall deeper, deeper, deeper into your addiction, your mental health gets even worse. And then it's something that's almost impossible to get out of or can be damn near impossible to get out of without the right resolve to f- change it and the right support. Um, you know, I think that why people turn to, you know, certain drugs or certain things versus others, I don't know, you know... Alcohol's everywhere, right? So it's easy to just turn to drinking. Yeah. And that's what everyone does, right? Sure. It's the baseball and drinking. That's a you know, American pastime. You know, it's <laughs> it seems like it. And it's it's such... also the only way that I can get through a baseball game. Well, right. It's having it's a so bunch of beers. I mean, I went to a couple games over the, over the summer, you know, with the girl I was seeing, and we had a great time, but man, people like drinking beers. Like I remember we were standing these next to these guys, and I'm like, you guys don't have to have all the beers. <laughs> You know, there's like these grown men like stacking up these the empty beer <laughs> things and like stomping on the ground. This guy looks at me and and this is me and this girl had just kind of started dating. It was the first time I was meeting a bunch of her friends. And and I'm, you know, trying to put on, you know, a good face and like, you know, have a good time. And I was. I had a bl- blast. It was the first time I've been to the stadium in a really long time. And this dude is wasted. Big stupid thing, all these empty beer things. And he looks at me, he's like, You gotta stomp your feet, man. You gotta stomp your feet when they do that. And I was like, Man, I don't want to stomp my fucking feet, dude. Can you just... Wait, you have to stomp your feet I don't when, know. They, when they put a cup in the I don't know. Tower? It was something about the game. He was real trashed and something about <laughs> stomping feet. They were all stomping their feet in the in the like batter's eye box or out there okay. in the outfield where like all the bars are or where all the beer stands, whatever. And I'm just like, dude, no, I don't want to stomp my feet, man. Can you just like leave me alone? Like uh, I don't and he was like Oh yeah, man. I was like, dude, I'm not gonna get in a big like thing about you with you at the at the ball game. And I looked at her. I'm like, can we go? Can we go walk to the other side of the stadium, please? But it's you know, it, but that is such a common thing 
And it's so like, why is that okay? You know what I mean? Like, why is that level of consumption of a substance that inhibits you from acting coherent or respectable or kind or anything to any but to other people at times why is that okay you know why is why do people get a pass to be drunk maniacs because you see it all the time movies music what we do socially alcohol yeah totally cool but then the second somebody you know people are smoking crack you don't go hey man that guy can smoke a whole bunch of crack he's so cool or hey that girl can shoot up a whole bunch of heroin she's the life of the party Alcohol's just as detrimental. More people die from drinking than pretty much all drugs combined. If oh, in fact, it's not even close. Right. So it's like why why is that the case? Why is there such a stigma behind other things and it's not attached to alcohol? Well, I mean, because that's what society teaches us. Alcohol's fine because it's just what everybody does. And it doesn't need to be like that. And I honestly think if people started to maybe look at how serious of a problem alcohol is or can be, maybe it wouldn't be so commonplace. And maybe people wouldn't succumb to problems with drinking so easily because there would be such a a little bit more of like a, well, hey, maybe I should be careful about how much I drink. Well, I'm sure some of it is tied into the revenue that it generates. Well, also, too, you know, money. Uh, I mean, really, you can put alcohol uh, right up there with, I mean, people may not like talking about it, but America has an unbelievable obesity problem, yeah. which you want to talk about, you know, what is the biggest killer in the U.S. by a wide margin? It's illnesses related to heart disease. Like, right. It's like thirty or 40,000 a month. All right. But it's it'll, not even close. I mean, it's by far it. the right. worst thing. Right. I mean, and it, it it's sad because, you know, I think that if we were, like we talked about already, man, if people were just more willing to have these conversations, yeah. people were actually willing to actually care like they claim to, and not just in a performative sense, actually give a shit about their fellow human being, maybe, maybe we'd be able to help people out a little more. Maybe we would be more comfortable with having conversations that could be life-changing or make somebody understand that they're putting themselves in a in a dangerous spot and they wouldn't be so reluctant to take that on as someone actually genuinely looking out for you. Yeah. But people are so cautioned about that sort of stuff anymore and they don't want to hear it. And then they're just left to just kind of like figure it out for themselves as opposed to going, hey, man, that person was genuinely looking out for me. You know, I don't know, man. I wish there was a world where we could figure out why people turn to things, why people you know, succumb to these things. Like you wouldn't go upstairs and turn on the stove and put your hand on a burning hot flame because you know that it would hurt you, right? Yeah. People know that drugs and alcohol are going to be dangerous and certainly drugs and more so alcohol as time goes on, people are seeing how dangerous alcohol can be. But some, for some reason, people still turn to it. Yeah. You well, know? I mean, it's the, 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 the numbness, the escape. Well, right. I mean, I get it. Listen, living sober isn't easy. It's not like I know that I've come on here now twice and I speak a very like, wow, my life's in a great place and my life is this. But I will tell you what, there is a darker side to it where it sucks sometimes. It sucks not being able to escape my own brain. It sucks not being able to go. I got to get away from the thoughts in my head or it sucks not being able to sit in the fucking backyard with my dad anymore and have a beer and shoot the shit with my dad and get a little buzz on. Like, I hate I hate that I can't do that. But it's better. It's, it's 100% and 
I will go on record a million times over saying this. It is 100% better than what it used to be for me. Yeah. You know, like I'm far from perfect, damn near far from perfect, but I'm far, far, far better than I was. And you should put that on my like headstone or something. Far from perfect, damn sure better than I was or something. All right. Hey, far from perfect, but nowhere near imperfect. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I am so happy that I live the way that I live now, but it isn't. It isn't easy. Like, you have to, and I know this is cliche as hell to say, but, like, and people say it all the time, especially in the line of work I'm in now. People only are going to do it when they're ready, you know? Like, you can plead with someone until they're blue in the face. God could come down from heaven, whatever you believe in, and ask you to go be sober. But unless you really want to do it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, because people have to want to make that decision for themselves because it takes work. It's not just something you can just do. Like you have to actually apply yourself. Now, for some people, it's easier than others. My story, the bizarro world that I was able to figure out sobriety for myself was like a light switch. I was able to, once I said, hey, I'm going to go through these things. I'm going to check myself into the hospital. I'm never going to drink again. I was able to switch the switch off and never drink again. I've never relapsed once I've never it's not that I've never thought about it but I've never actually done it um and that's a rarity and I'm really proud of that and I know that it's very uncommon but it wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have actually really really wanted to do it and I really I pray I hope I wish I could figure out a way to make that switch turn in other people because a lot of times that switch never is flipped on or off. I mean, people aren't, there are a lot of people that lose the battle. There are a lot of people that succumb to their addictions and lose their lives or end up just existing in this horrible space that is addiction. And it's heartbreaking, you know, but once again, those people will only ever get out of that until they truly want to do it, you know, but sometimes people just consign themselves to this is what my life is. This is what I am. I am my addiction. And I, you know, on my social media, a lot of, and in, in my talking to people both professionally and personally, you know, I say all the time that I wish people could see that you can get out of it. You don't have to just consign yourself to this is what my life is. You know, I thought that for the longest time and, you know, look at me, you know, I was able to figure it out, you know? Well, that's good. I'm glad you did. I think I asked you this before you came or, or maybe like earlier in the week. Because we were just talking about like you know the uh, the uh, the the walking hand in hand with you know the uh, the the mental health yeah. and depression with mm-hmm. with with uh, drug abuse and, and it makes sense because you you said it perfectly like the cyclical you know yeah. you're you know I I drink because I'm depressed I'm depressed because I drink mm-hmm. it just it just never really it never ends if you don't want it to and you also mentioned and I think it's accurate that it's become more of a thing that people are 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 willing to talk about and open to talking about thankfully I've I've struggled a little bit with some of like the the social media delivery it's almost i and i hate even saying it or thinking about it i was curious what your take is on it is the the almost popularization of mental health yeah if that makes sense i think that i think you you're right i think that sadly and i think it, it goes it goes for even more than just mental health or addiction or mental health is what we're talking about sure there are a lot, there's a lot of a lot of things that are going on in the world right now because of social media and the prevalence of you know TikTok and all you know Facebook Instagram everything all the social media there are a lot of things that are very are done for 100% just a performative yeah. thing absolutely because people 
because people are one, they're making money. People are getting famous. People are getting likes and clicks and accolades and, you know, cheered on for things that they're not really even doing or they don't really adhere to or even believe in a lot of times. Now, I'm not saying that that's the majority. I'm not saying that's most. It's it's I would imagine that it is a very small, small amount of people that are doing it completely out of false, you know, as a false. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But do I think that people are do I think people are taking advantage of the prevalence and the openness of mental health nowadays? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that people know that they can say, I want to take a mental I'm gonna take a mental health day when they don't really want they're not that's not why they're do, why they're doing it. No. They're using it as a get out of jail free card. Well, right. Yeah. Cuz cuz because because it's such a focal point and because it is so acknowledged as something that people need and should have been able to do. Yeah. They can say, "Well, I'm I have some I have a mental illness or I'm taking a mental health day because I'm this that or the other and then they're not going to work so they can sit around and dick off." Well, yeah, okay, cool. Good for you to do that. Then just say you want to take a day off. You know, don't because I think when people do stuff like that, when people use things that are serious and that should be important or whatever I'm searching for, and they'd use it in a performative sense, it it minimizes and invalidates people that are actually really struggling. Yeah. And it takes away from someone that really is in a dark pit of depression. And then some somebody's going, ah, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna call off work and say I'm gonna take a mental health day. It's like, well, that sucks. I well, and I feel bad sometimes. I come across these, and I was like, oh, you too. Yeah. Like, and I, I start, I start almost getting desensitized by it because I feel like yeah. it's it's some, and I notice. So here's a good example. I used to never really be able to understand like like a Facebook post when someone's like struggling their day, need this. I actually yeah. 100% understand that now. Well, sure. Because it, it's it's a it's it's a way to reach out like our likes, likes, right, comments right. like, okay, I needed to right. hear this. I mean, today. I do that shit all the time. And that's years ago I never understood yeah. that and then cuz I was like I would never do that yeah. because it wasn't what I would do. Right. I would do the healthy thing, which is buried inside. It would right. come out at a really terrible right. time. Um, <laughs> right. I would bottle it all up, and then yeah. it would all explode. Hopefully it comes out after a couple drinks handle. at a family event. Right. What, what, what? Exactly. But uh, I, I understand that. Right. Um, I, I truly do. But then, like, you know, you'll go on, like, a, you'll see, like, a reel or on TikTok, and someone videos themselves crying. Right. I'm like, why are you? I don't. Th that's that's hard. That's right. harder for me. I mean, listen, as somebody who has 100% cried on social media before, I mean, I don't know if you remember. I used to do those videos at the end. Oh of the yeah, day. I do. Yeah. I actually, I actually started doing them again. And if hey, if you ever want to look, it's uh, Tony and Oscar James on Instagram. Uh, but I, I certainly have cried on social media, but I did it genuinely, and I got flack from people. I had people say to me. Dude, come on. What are you crying on social media for, dude? Like, really? So so yours was, you were recapping your day, your toddler. I, I never even lumped well, you Well, no, listen. Those were certainly, it was, those were 100% legit tears. Yeah. But as somebody who knows me, yeah. I don't do shit for a performative sense. No. I live myself, I'm pretty genuine. Love me or yeah. hate me, I live myself pretty authentically. Yeah. You know, I live my life pretty I'm authentically. About, like, I, I've seen like, oh, yeah, dude, I've, I've seen, seen like it? on TikTok, just a video. I've seen There's it. a caption below saying struggling and they're just showing crying. themselves crying. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that. I just listen, can't imagine crying and they're like, wait, wait, wait. It wait, makes this me is a good sad. One. If those men and women that are doing that, young, old, wherever, are are crying 
and sad and lost and they really are struggling and that's the only outlet they think they have is to reach out through social media, which maybe that is the only outlet they have. If that's true, <laughs> yeah. then that sucks and that it really does. is very sad. And that's the, that was actually the next part of right. what I was going to talk about was then I'm like, but this is just kind of what it's become. Maybe they do think yeah. this is how I'm supposed well, to right. Yeah, maybe struggle. they don't. They don't have parents that are supportive. Maybe this is how I'm supposed to struggle right. is with a crying video on TikTok. Right now, but the thing is, is that we don't know. Yeah, and then all of a sudden that TikTok video goes viral, and that person wasn't even sad in the first place, yeah. and they were just doing it to create content. And now they're, you know, they have you know hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok, and they're you know, you know, spewing out hate speech. Who knows? I uh, yeah, dude. I it's you know so, what I mean? No, it's, I do. It's yeah. it's a very very weird slippery slope, and I think that there is a lot of good to social media as somebody who has. You know, I don't have any followers or anything, any sort of social media presence outside of my small circle within the city of Cleveland. But I've used, I would like to think that I've used my social media platform as small as it is for good. I think that I've reached a lot of people. I've helped people find a little bit of light in dark times. And I've certainly given myself the opportunity to be able to kind of have a chronological list or whatever catalog of my life and how it's unfolded, certainly in the past four or five years, right? And I'm thankful for that. I think that there it's a slippery slope though because people people are so succumbed to the influence of social media and they fall under the sway of these things and the things and this crazy weird stuff that people say sometimes and they get so emphatically wrapped up in some of the ideologies and the things that they hear on social media that they they don't even really think for themselves anymore. And it's it's scary because yeah. I don't know where that leads us in the future. You know, if people aren't doing things genuinely anymore and they're using, you know, social media to influence other people around them in a negative, disingenuous fashion, then where do we end up as people? I don't know. Maybe I don't that's know, like an like old that... man going, kids get off my lawn, but No, I'm... no, no, no. I mean there was what it maybe came out two years ago, the the social something. It's it's a it's a Netflix documentary. Yeah. It's it's almost like a dramatization of people that are using their phones too much. And, I mean, there is a direct correlation. Oh, you know, a lot of it was they were talking to people on, like, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter about how, you know how you get pissed every time you see a conservative post or video and you watch it? Yeah. We make sure that's what's in your feed. Oh, yeah. That's what we do. Oh, I know. There's an algorithm. And, I mean, the the use of social media versus the the increase in mental those are going right up with each other especially oh, yeah. in younger people who are staring at their phone some of them are saying 14 hours a day well right i mean because you get i mean i'm not maybe a little ashamed to say it but i mean even even last night i went to bed relatively early i woke up in the middle of the night for whatever reason and then i laid in bed for 2 hours and scrolled through tiktok people get so immersed in that little app and the stuff that's on there. Now, sure, there's some cool stuff on there. Cooking tips and cool stuff about video games and, you know, everyone's feed and their algorithms and for you page is different. But some of that stuff on there is vile. There's some, Oh, man, some of it's brutal. Yeah, man. it's like I, I have gotten into weird things on, on TikTok and other social media where I'm like, what the fuck am I listening to? <laughs> like, whoa, get this out of here, man. You stop at one thing for too long and the next thing you know... Your whole thing is filled with very, very strange, very toxic, very bizarre behavior, and you kind of, kind of have to. But I think people fall into that stuff, and like I said, 
the next thing you know, that that's like what their identity is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous, I think, or at least it can be, you know, especially when it comes to people that are struggling with finding their own identity or struggling with things that, you know, are going on in their brain, especially the younger generations. You know what I mean? They have, they're already very impressionable. They're already struggling to find themselves. And the next thing you know, they got Ben Shapiro telling them to hate everybody. And, and TikTok is 80% people not copying someone's identity yeah you're lip syncing a song you didn't sing right. you're mimicking a dance you didn't create yeah. you are acting out a scene from the office that you didn't write right like the, the 80 percent of that app is just shit right. like that it's right. wild right you got people i made it because i have uh i have the guiltless page has a tiktok mm -hmm. and like i saw i made like a joke one of this, this it was this woman yeah well endowed she's just sitting there and she holds up and she's like i just found the cutest can of Coke, and she held it up. It had nine hundred thousand views, and my stitch was all about like, how? What? Yeah, hell? why? How was this viewed yeah. nine hundred thousand times? Yeah, I mean, people... I'm sitting here with this podcast, trying to talk to the most interesting people in the city. Yeah, and all I had to do was just, you know, I mean, girls, give me a can of Coke, dude. I'll hold give me a, a can, a can of, Coke of Coke and and you know, much larger breasts, obviously. Well, you know, but uh, I was like, but that's just it, and that's what people want to see, man. I that guess. was her video too. Yeah, I was like. This video must have been cut off, and I missed the rest. Yeah, she's like, "No, look at this little bottle of Coke," and that was it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I've made I've made a couple TikToks. I, it's not it's not my thing. I just maybe I'm too old. I just don't get the technology, or I'm just not savvy enough. But they didn't. I think the best one I did, I was uh, me and Oscar was standing next to me. I was in the bath, and I was doing a bath bomb. And it got like three thousand views. And I was like, "Look at me! I'm a TikTok celebrity over here." I'm a bath mom. <laughs> yeah, well, you might like bath bomb stuff. I love that stuff. Self care, it's great. There is some funny. I there are some very clever jokes on that app. Oh yeah, some that I like. I get to the end of it and I will literally laugh out loud. I can't. It was so funny and it took me in a direction and I wasn't ready. Yeah, and then that happened. Yeah, I mean, my my I like you know if we're if we're talking about TikTok a little bit, I like where my for you page is at. It's food, video game stuff. For, oddly enough, a bunch of stuff about Lord of the Rings. Some political stuff here and there, and then an occasional like ooh, ooh girl, like you know. I get a lot of political stuff. A yeah. lot. I get a lot of political. I get well, a lot I mean, of it debates. makes sense with the podcast. Yeah. and different. I also get a ton of podcasts. I get a ton of dating podcasts. Yeah, that falls in my filter because I can't get enough of those. Those are hilarious to me. Yeah, I just I really really can't. I truly don't think anyone under the age of twenty five understands money, finance, or budgeting. Yeah, just based I mean, on I certainly didn't just when based, I was that age. just based on that app. Right. People say things. I saw one guy the other day. He was talking to his buddy on a podcast. Yeah. Like, so what's like the average income in America? Like one hundred twenty thousand. Like, yeah, no. I mean, minus about seventy. Yeah, no, 5, that is not, not the average close, income. You idiot. No, I wish. <laughs> and if this kid was nine, I'd get it. But he was in his twenties. Yeah, well, but that goes to show you, people don't have the skills or the understanding of the world as well as they should no, as they, they move don't. into adulthood. I it's mean, frightening what they don't know. Like, and then like, you know, on the the, I mean, the big thing on the dating podcast now is you ask a girl what's the minimum amount of money a guy has to make, and yeah. they're like, I don't know, like two hundred grand a year is good. I'm like. That's like one percent of the yeah, country. Yeah, that's not a lot of people. That's, that is that's a, a very, very small percent right. of the country. <laughs> man, you good for you, girl. Go out and get it. It's you know? terrifying, yeah, man. It sure terrifying. Is. And then, like, I did find one, and this one pops up a lot, and I've watched all of them, so I know why. It's this guy that it's a relatively younger guy, maybe like thirty at the absolute most. Yeah, 
sits. I think he, he just sits down with young people and goes over how bad their debt is and tries to get them out of it. And it's I've even followed him on YouTube. It's hilarious. I mean, it's like hours long of they're just like, why do you have? He's like, I don't understand this. Why do you have a thousand dollar car payment? What yeah. car did you get? Yeah. I'm like, well, I got this, but I have such horrible credit that uh, the interest rate was very, really high. And he's I'm like, like no. you shouldn't have got that you car. You shouldn't have gotten that car. You're driving a Kia and you're used paying $1,000 a month. You need a used car right. with like right. 100,000 miles of Toyota that's reliable. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> it's is that people don't, like, the Schools don't teach you about no, they don't. financial planning or understanding what you need to do in order to... Because now, like, listen, and it took me a long time, long, long, long time, and I'm still not... I mean, I'm a lot better and I, I have a pretty good understanding of at least my financial planning and where I'm at. But once you get in a pretty good place, you actually can really get nicer things for yourself. Like I was able to get, I had a nice Subaru. I was able to trade that in and get an even nicer one and have a lower monthly payment. But I didn't know you could do stuff like that. I had to find that stuff out myself. I had to figure out that stuff, which all wouldn't have been, a, a you know, Able, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that stuff had I not cleaned up my act. But even without my addiction, they don't teach you any of that shit in high school. No, they don't. That's. I'm I mean, maybe they do now. I'm seeing it more where they're actually taking and trying to do like some basic finance because they should. Th those they, kids go to college. That's where a lot of your debt starts. You right. go to high school. You go to college. You credit cards start racking. Right, because all you don't have up. any money. I mean, if Loans, you're fortunate enough yeah. to have a family that's giving you money, well, good for you. But most people aren't don't have yeah. parents that are shelling you a whole bunch of cash, and so you can even the ones that could have given you money can't anymore because college is so expensive. Well, now. right, you have so you to go take and you out get some you, form you get of a, loan. You get a Mastercard. Yeah. You get a Capital One. This you get a Discover card. And next thing you know, it's maxed out, and you got a ton of college, you know, student loans and maxed out credit cards. And you're like, okay, now I got to get an entry level job in a career that pays me like shit. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's the, yeah, I, I'm starting to see it more where more high schools, I know that a couple in Florida were starting to do that. They're really pushing that there. I want to say Pennsylvania maybe as well, but I'm seeing it more where they're making it a, a requirement that they have to take some of these finance courses, well, good. which I'm like, good. They should do that. Guess what? Protons and electrons. I've literally Dude, never used that in life. Slag and slag tights and the, you know Louisiana <laughs> Purchase and all that stuff. Like, come on, like that yeah. stuff is all important. You sure should, but you, you should know, know history. You can look that stuff up <laughs> yeah. too now easily. Google it. You don't. Shit. You know what I mean? Like we're all holding supercomputers. We can right. find that information. Absolutely. You don't. You don't necessarily need to have that information ready at the top of your brain, <laughs> but you should know how to. Plan out your cell, your financial yes. well-being. But you, you should. should know that if you are making $2,000 a month, you cannot afford a $3,000 apartment. Right. <laughs> like you should, th you would think you would know that, but, but it's, I, people get sent out to just figure it out themselves. We, we were talking about, uh, it kind of in line with this, we were talking about like, you know, when I have a guest, usually I get like three referrals. Yeah. Sean over at Noble Beast, yeah. he sent me one. I cannot Love remember Sean. the name of the person, but uh, basically he, he teaches... Uh, uh, like like shop and like 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 uh mechanic skills yeah. things like that things that you yeah, really things really, that you will things need that no one knows but desperately needs and I think it does obviously two things is one is it gives them a skill two it may actually put them in the direction of hey man uh, for some reason you guys look on look down on mechanics and plumbers and electricians right. you can make a good living doing a that. lot of you yes. can make a very especially good especially now those. because trades. People have like turned a blind eye to them Trades for a long are time. Dying. Right. And they, and a lot, like, especially, I mean, all that stuff, electricians, carpenters. But you, you look at, like, I grew up in Ohio City, right? 
a lot of the homes that I remember from my childhood were those old Victorian houses, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, up and down Franklin and all throughout the like the like heart of Ohio City with like crown molding and those beautiful inlaid cabinets and stuff. Like the the craftsmen that used to make that stuff, they're nowhere to be found anymore because yeah. they didn't pass it on and nobody gave a shit. And it sucks. Like that stuff is important, and I think it's a essential to like a lot of beautiful things. But yeah, man, you're right. People do look down on those plumbing. Like, elect- that sounds like that stuff went out of right. need. We we still need plumbers. All of it. We still all need electricians. Time. We right. still need carpenters. We right. still. But it's need not glamorous. These it's not you know, whatever. Being a celebrity or you know, it's so funny to me too. Is like the progression of things. Like when I started out in the restaurant business, people were still like. Oh uh, yeah, you, you're a server, you're a bartender. What you go to college? What's your real job? What are you really gonna do? What do you want to be when you grow up? Like shitty comments like that. But now, oh, I want to be a celebrity. I want to be a chef. I want to be a bartender because you know TV and it's cool and it's yeah. it's hip and it's trendy and you know it's like you realize that you like yeah sure love those things. Being a chef's cool. Being a bartender's cool. Being a server's cool. Being a restaurant manager's cool. But you realize that a lot of the times those things don't pay anything at all, especially the salary jobs, and you work your ass off, and then you just get tossed to the wayside when you piss off the owner and they don't like you anymore. Oh, and yeah. then you have to like pick up the pieces and find a new job and hopefully not finding yourself in the same position. Now, I'm not saying that that's commonplace, but it does happen a lot. Well, um, in some cities, it's, 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 it's clicky. Like, Cleveland's a big city. It's not a huge city. Yeah. I mean, you yourself are the best example of this. How many... How many people, I mean, if I were to name 50 restaurants, you probably know at least one person that works there. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, it's always funny, like, Brad, my buddy Brad, who works at uh, the brewery with me, I've known him for a long, long, long time. And he always, and he knows a lot of people, too, especially in Lakewood. He's been in Lakewood his whole life. He knows a ton of people. He's worked at a couple, a lot of bars in Lakewood. And he's just an awesome, you know, well-known dude. But he gives me shit all the time. Man, you know everybody. You know everybody. There's always someone coming in here that you know. And- Listen, I'm thankful for that because it, it it it's nice. It's nice to have a lot of friends and yeah, places. Nice to have a little sure. network. Of does it and, does yeah. it sometimes not work out for me? Sure. There are certain people that I don't want to know and I wish didn't know me, you know, and when you run into that where you know a lot of people know who you are with the quotes there, you know, people Haters are going to hate, man. People say shit about people when they don't even know you or they used to know you a long time ago. And, like, you know, to circle back around to, like, you know, my drinking days, there are certainly things that I did in my past, you know, and probably things that I will, can you know, do again or not things that I'll do again. But I'll certainly not live up to the expectations of myself. There are certainly things that I've done in my past that I, I'm not proud of and things that I, I wish I would have done differently or I wish I would have, you know, not been so trashed and not done certain things. But I've grown a lot since then, you know, and I've... a tone for those things. I've held myself accountable for those things. And the people that I was able to, I apologize to for the things that I'd done. And I never did anything crazy or like hurt anybody or assaulted anybody, but I certainly made some mistakes and said some things I shouldn't have. And hmm. like we all have, right? But there are people that still to this day want to like say bad shit about me. And it's like, grow up. Like if you really feel that badly about it, reach out to me. I'll talk to you. And if I do owe you an apology, I'll happily give you one. If I feel like it's valid. But give me the opportunity as opposed to just going around running your mouth about me. You don't even know me anymore. You know, that was 10, 15 years ago. I'm not talking about anything specific now, but there are certainly things that I encountered, especially in my, you know, early days of sobriety where, you know, people were like talking shit about my attempt at sobriety and how they thought it was a joke. And I think we talked about this when I first came on the show. Um, But it's like, why would you, why? Because I, because I hurt your feelings like 10 years ago. Now you're like still butthurt about it. Like. Why don't you call me up and say, hey, dude, I, I'm pissed off at you. Give me an opportunity to say sorry. 
you know? You know, I think it's probably the same as like everything else. A lot of things else we talked about. It's easier to yeah say something to that guy than to actually talk to you. Well, right. I mean, but and it any- makes people feel better. Like, ooh, cool. I'm talking about this guy. I yeah, feel good. right, right. I, I mean, I know a lot of the stuff's like you know projection and people, you know, f- people feeling insecure about themselves, so they want to cut other people down. But you know, imagine a world where we actually were, you know, more concerned or more happy or felt more implored to just be kind to one another and actually support one another and like, you know, kind of stay in our lane outside of that than tearing other people down and like being shitty to one another. I mean, I know that's a very naive way to hope the world would be, but no, there's a place it's called uh, Florida. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the Mecca that you're trying to point to. Well, (laughs) just gators and pedophiles. Yeah. Let's go Florida. God, Florida's not my not my cup of tea. It's not too, your jam. It's too muggy down there. My uh, no, I can't. My uh, my uh, my wife's parents live down there, but they're moving up here now. Yeah. So I mean, I've been to Florida a handful of times. Went to uh, Disney. I have too. There's a couple. I will say, eighty five percent of it I don't enjoy. Yeah. But I found little pockets that I do like. I mean, your boy Ron DeSantis is down there. Yeah. And yeah. Every time we we go fishing, obviously. When yeah. I go down well, of course. There. You go gator. He's, he's a he's a hunt. good guy. <laughs> He's a good guy. Surprisingly good cook. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, um, I, I don't know, man. It, it's also, I think, like, when you talk about, like, someone that, that is still butthurt about someone from 10 years yeah. ago, I mean, it's also just kind of human nature. It's it's tough to switch people's minds about you, no yeah. matter what. Once they've made up your mind, it's very tough. No, man, listen. It's very tough to turn that dial back to giving you another chance. Listen, there are definitely people that, I've gotten a lot better at it. There were certainly people, even as I like found my new strength and like my self-awareness and my sobriety and stuff, there were still people that I held like I had like axes to grind about that I I knew damn well I should just forgive. Yeah. But for some reason I wanted to still harbor this animosity because I felt like they had slighted me for whatever reason. Um you know, somebody who didn't deserve it at all and somebody that I have since made made amends with and apologized to was was my buddy Eric, Eric Williams from Emocho and El Carnicero. I worked for him for a number of years. I helped him open El Carnicero. And, you know, I ended up leaving that job. And it was ultimately, and I think Eric and I have talked about it at this point, it was because of my drinking. I was fucking drinking like a maniac, and I was not living up to expectation. And I don't blame him for not wanting me to be a part of that restaurant anymore. You know, the way we, the way that we parted ways wasn't the best. We both definitely could have done it better. And for some reason, I had just this, the biggest, like, axe to grind about him ever since then. Until a couple years ago, where we ran into one another. I ran into his wife. I told her that I, I missed Eric and that I felt like I would love to see him. And, he, you know, we event. And then I think that night, actually, he showed up to, uh, to where we were. She was, it was a dog event. And, uh, I actually ended up talking to him, you know, and, and I had no reason to be mad at Eric. Eric's a great guy. You know, he was a, nothing but a friend to me. Like I said, we, the way that we parted ways was probably not the best, but that was both of our faults. You know what I mean? I didn't have any reason to harbor any sort of grudge with him. That was my own problem. I was mad at myself because I fucked that job up because I was a drunk. You know what I mean? I should have been a little more critical of myself yeah. and not so critical of Eric. He had a business to run. He didn't have time to babysit some drunk party animal. Now, was I still showing up? Was I still working my ass off? Well, yeah, to a certain extent. But I wasn't doing things that 
I should have been doing and I shouldn't have been getting trashed at work. I mean, that's not a good look for anybody. Now, sure, it's something that happens in the restaurant bar industry, but it shouldn't. And any place that it does, a lot of times there are shit, there's things that happen that shouldn't and people do things that they shouldn't and people end up getting fired because they make mistakes while they're drinking. And that's not a good look for any business, right? But yeah, I mean, I wish I would have had the the wherewithal to kind of go, man, I don't really, I should be mad at me and not Eric. But I, I, I eventually got there. It's, you know? uh, yeah. Well, also in the, 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 the time that you're talking about, you know, when oh, yeah. you were having, I mean, that, that's a, di- you're in a different mindset too. Oh yeah. I mean, that was like, if, if anything was a, like if I had to check off a, a time period that my drinking was really starting to get, I mean, it was, I mean, we talked about this before, but it was always out of control, but that was when it was really starting to get not good. Like. I was getting into dangerous territory. You're, uh, I, I'm, and you know, we were talking about this. I don't know if we were recording at the time. You were asking, like, how many listens your last one oh, yeah. got. It's number two. Two? Two. Get yeah. out of here. But the reason, again, I think one is obviously the topic. I, <laughs> I think. believe you, obviously, but yeah. I just looked it up just to confirm. I'm pretty, you're, I think you're number two. And, um, Yes, a restaurant called Redemption. Yeah. I remember because I was really happy with that title. Oh, me too. <laughs> I do. When you told me that's what you were going to call it, or what you just you decided on, I was like, yeah, dude, that that's. But that was uh, th- the reason I think in my mind, and and I know I was close to it, obviously, because I was here when you were unpacking this. All right, I do these for the most part. These are t- two hours. Yeah. I, a low one's an hour and a half. Yeah. I did one about three and a half hours. Yeah. I was yours was one of yours was probably the second longest yeah. one. Uh, and not for any other particular reason other than I'm like, we can't stop this now. Like, we got to well, see right. where this I mean, goes. I, and man. honestly, that, that three and a half hours or whatever it was went by, like, I, that, I was telling that story, and it just felt like yeah. I didn't wasn't even looking at what time oh, it felt it like was. 45 minutes. Right. But then I was like, oh, my God, it's been three hours. Yeah. But I remember more, I think, from that episode than I do from m- most – if I had to pick five – five, six episodes right. where I remember the most, that's one of them. Well, thanks, man. I'm, I mean, I... And unfortunately, not for great things. Well, no. I mean, listen, <laughs> you know? it was... I, that's what, something that you told me about right afterwards and then certainly after it aired was that you, you you said, and I had other people reach out to me and say, like, dude, you went... You you didn't hold anything back. Yeah. Like, you... That was kind of a tell-all. And it certainly was. You know, it it is, it is very humbling and bizarre to me and you know gives me actually a little bit of like hope that with all the amazing talented influential people that are way more interesting and way cooler than i am in my opinion like you know pants and ryan hardwick and you know bill squire and you know eileen dorsey and all these amazing people you've had on the show that my episode for whatever reason me yammering on about being a drunk guy is the second most listened to thing on your podcast it's- which is pretty Amazing. I remember most from that episode than I think most other episodes. But by, and I mean, I will have, uh, you know, so again, someone on for two hours. And I never go back and listen just yeah. because I, I, I listened because I was well, right. doing it. I mean, I've it's, only listened to the episode yeah, once. It's rare. I listened to it one time, yeah. but I didn't really have to because I remembered all of it. All right. And I still do. And it was a year and a half ago. But there was, I mean, there was, and I remember, and, and I, I don't know why, well, I know why that this is the part that stuck out to me the most because it was something that I just couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around yeah. but I think it at best and I, I've used that word 
you know, spare, like, because I don't know what other word to use, best kind of encapsulates, I think, what you were going through. You know, when you hear the term functioning alcoholic, yeah. everyone just like got drunk, went to work. I'm like, eh, yeah. kind of. Uh, yeah. Here's one that I think is the best example of that. Yeah. Because it's, I, and I think that that term gets thrown around a lot, well, like jokingly, but. Oh, yeah. You were actually a functioning alcoholic where. One, because we were just talking about all the restaurants that you helped open, yeah. and it was a testament to how well you did, because people still knew that you were drinking, but they're like, but he's fucking bang up at this, man. Yeah, he's, he's gonna, so he's gonna, good at this. He's going to do this really good for sick... I'll, dude, I remember... He'll get us up and running, for he'll sure. He'll get us open, up and running, and he'll be gangbusters for a good amount of time until his drinking gets yeah. out of control, and then he'll start slacking off, and then he'll ultimately either quit or we'll end yeah. up firing him. Now, I don't know if those conversations ended up hap- ever happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they did. I mean, that was... I, well, and that that's kind of what I took from it, yeah. was that. But then the one that I think that I remember the most was your... You were describing, I think you were, it's at the wine bar in Rocky yeah. River. Yeah, that was, the end, that was the end of all things. And I think that's also why, because that was kind of your close to the end. And I, they, they, oh, they, I mean, that was. That was. Yeah. I mean, that it was, was that, and then it was you know, your your little conversation with Oscar and your place, and then it was going to the hospital. But in that, when you were at the wine bar, you'd mentioned, and I hope you don't mind me repeating. Oh, uh, not at all, man. Uh, you had talked about how you would actually get there early. Oh, yeah. Because you were drink because you had the drink, and I remember this. Mugs of tequila to even out. Yeah, it was it was tequila or vodka, depending on what I had in the office there. But yeah, man, I I, I was just telling somebody about this the other day. I would literally, so I didn't have a car at the time. I, uh, you know, had lo- I get I got a DUI and I gave my car to my dad, so I would catch Ubers from my house on Broccoli in Lakewood to Wine Bar, and I can't even remember how many times or tell you how many times. Those Uber rides in the morning, because I was going through a drawl so badly already, where I would have to literally sit there and compose myself to not barf all over the Ubers, because my body was starting to like, I would start to shake and yeah. sweat, and this was like summertime, so I'd be like sitting there like, oh God, just like, please don't talk to me, hoping the Uber like driver wouldn't be too engaging, because I needed to focus on not barfing all over the car. Yeah. And then like I would literally get out of the car, sweat dripping down my pores, probably clammy and sweaty and sticky and gross looking, and I would run into the restaurant and hopefully compose myself enough to not puke. And then, yeah, I would go either behind the bar or I'd go in the office and drink because I, I just had to. I just had to, and it was such a weird, it was such a weird existence to like function in, to know that that's where you were and not go, why am I doing this? Like, you know, this isn't right, right? Like this isn't normal. This isn't healthy. You shouldn't be doing this, but yet you do it every single day almost. But that's, that's like I said earlier, man, that's how far I had gone. That's how I had so much just succumbed to the idea that this was what I was. So it was like, well, there's really no way out of this. I can't stop drinking. How could I possibly do that? I mean, look at you. You, you, you can barely hold it together with not drinking for a couple hours while you're sleeping, yeah. let alone quitting altogether. You know, but there's so much more after that, too. You know, it isn't just stopping drinking. It was like everything that I did. You know, my identity outside of outside of my drinking was nothing. There was no me without alcohol. So and I didn't realize that really until after I stopped. But that's a big thing, too. My my social 
interaction was all about drinking. My professional interaction, my professional life was all about drinking. So when I remove, if to think about removing drinking, it's like, well, how do I even, what do you mean? How am I going to do that? Who am I? Who do I become then? Well, I'll tell you who I become then. I become somebody, like I said, that I'm really fucking proud of and very happy to be. But it took me a minute to really understand that. And I certainly wasn't able to realize that while I was in the midst of that terrible, you know, life shattering addiction, you know, but. Do you think even subconscious, I know you said that you didn't realize it, but do you think even subconsciously that you were not even just because of you know, the, the physical and the psychological yeah. aspects, but you were like, do you think you even thought to yourself subconsciously, I can't not because who am I without it? I don't, I don't know that in the moment I did. I certainly did after the fact, yeah. like, you know, when I, when I look back at it now and I look at, like, I try to remember myself then. Yeah, like I I don't know who I was outside of that. Did I look at it in the moment and go, who am I without my drinking? I don't know, probably. It's hard to really say, man. Like everything was such, everything was such a blur back then and thoughts like that weren't, they weren't as easy to come by as they are now. Yeah. I certainly wasn't able to be as critical of myself or be that self-aware where I was able to have that sort of introspective thought that freely because I, my brain was such mush. So no, did I, did I look at the world and go, who am I without alcohol? Probably not. Um, but once again, like I've said a couple times, I didn't ever think there would be a world where I was without alcohol. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like That's such a part of your day and your night that you're like, it, well, I mean, it was everything. When is there ever I, a time I'm not going to be doing this? I mean, up until the day that I decided to stop drinking, I never thought that I would stop drinking, if that makes any sense. No. Yeah. I mean, it literally. There was, even, even when I was doing weird stuff, when I was like sleeping in the restaurant and like crawling in the attic and passing, oh, crawl space. I remember yeah, the crawl passing space, out yeah. in the bathroom and my staff like... There was there was so many things that happened and jobs that I had lost and like even then there was never like a moment where I was like man I'm going to just stop doing this and I'm going to get this all figured out it was just like this is just how I live my life man this is what I do and for better or for worse that's who Tony Coast is I'm just this drunk guy and that's what I'm going to be until I don't know Till I, it just kind of normalizes or I don't know. I didn't have a plan and I didn't, I didn't certain, I didn't have any aspirations to stop drinking. Not any real ones, at least, you know, I certainly had like little conversations with myself. Like I said, where I would be like, all right, Monday, we're going to get things going. But I never really meant that, you know, those, those were performative. They were performative for myself. You know, hey, we're going to stop drinking. We're going to cut back. I, mean, I literally would lie to people and say, oh, yeah, I, I, cut, I don't even drink anymore. Like I would stop tasting wine with my wine reps because I wasn't drinking anymore. But I would have a cup of Grand Marnier sitting there. Yeah. That, Who was I fooling? Who was I doing that for? I don't know. Well, that's the other thing about that. You know, that there, I, you know I've read We talked a lot about it, too, but it's also the uh, – not the self, the self realization, but the self. Oh God, what is the word? Justification. Yeah, we we're like, yeah, but I, I told them that I'm cutting back. Yeah, so right. I'm cutting and back. I didn't taste wine with yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't drink at the wine tasting. I had Grand Marnier at the wine yeah, tasting. Yeah, but that's you know. Yeah, that was my own little. Cup but I didn't have. The, but I didn't and, have the wine. Right. 
I mean, alcohol, I mean, listen, addiction makes you do a lot of very, very sad and very scary and desperate things, Yeah, you know, and you convince yourself of, you can convince yourself of almost anything when you are in the depths and the, you know, the grips of an addiction. And I can speak of it firsthand. I mean, I, I gave myself passes on so many things and gave myself, you know, the ability to excuse myself for things that I knew were wrong. And yet I continued to do them, you know, and, and. I, I come from a good, like my parents, you know, sure had their own addictions, their own struggles, but we never, I always had food. I always had, I went to a good, good high school. We always had Christmas presents. We never, you know, didn't have things we wanted. Were my parents rich? No, but I came from a good, you know, good family. I had a good upbringing. My parents gave me good direction and stuff. I knew that things that I was, that I was doing was, uh, that I, the things I were doing were wrong. I knew that, but I just did them anyway because, I would figure out a way to make an excuse for it, you know, and I think that's something that addiction, it teaches you to do that because you have to find a way to justify doing something that you know that is, is harmful to you. I mean, your body is trained, right, to, you know, your cells and your, your immune system is trained to fight off things that are harmful to you, right? But then you do things like start using drugs and start drinking, which you know are harm, potentially very harmful to you, right? So you have to figure out a way to convince your brain to navigate through that stuff and actually protect yourself from something you purposefully brought on yourself. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can talk. No, no, no. (laughs) But I mean, it's, but you can, you can talk in circle. Like you can have realizations of it now, six and a half years later. Like, Oh my God, I wonder if I was doing this. Yeah. I wonder if that's why I did this because you know, you're not thinking clearly at the time You, you have a, I think like an overall, I think what you've described is you always kind of had an overall, if you want to call it a theme. Yeah. You know, but not necessarily the reasoning behind your theme outside of, you know, obviously the addiction itself. Yeah. But like, you know, like you said, there's there's always that 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 daily, weekly, hourly justification as to why things are the way that they oh, are. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, you, I certainly had to have, like you said, I that justification was all the time because it was like, well, I'm done with work. What am I going to do? Well, we're going to go to the bar. And then after the bar, we're going to stop at the liquor store or the, you know, beer store. We're going to grab a bunch of booze and we're going to go home. We're going to keep drinking. And it was a constant, like, justification and a constant, like, saying, oh, well, this is okay because this is just what it is. It's crazy some of the things, too, that uh, uh, from both these talks that, 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 that come on. And, again, of the things that I do remember, the, the, the one thing that did stick out the most, and, again, I mentioned again, uh, that uh, it was the one time in the last episode that you got choked up as you were you were in your apartment yeah and uh having a real 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 rough go of it and oh, you yeah. were kind of having like this this talk with yourself internally yeah and Oscar would just oh, dude. just run, walks over to you and starts licking your foot dude, and, I, and, and just and no matter happened, what that happened so many times prior to that like big reckoning or big moment where I finally took myself to the hospital that happened a number of times after I got Oscar where he was just a puppy, you know, and he would follow me around. I mean, I was his guy. I was his person. You know what I mean? So he would follow me around and I would be in these like throes of like withdrawal and shaking and sweating and dry heaving into the sink. And there's a little Oscar James like licking my ankles and right by me wondering why this, you know, his hero is sick. I mean, he's a dog. Sure. But he knows he could tell I was not in good shape. I'm not going to get choked up again. I'm not trying to get I you. know. I know you're not trying. <laughs> I'm not trying to. It's I just... thought I would, but, uh, you know. But, yeah, I mean, that dog, 
you know, I, I said this last time, and I, I will say it until the end of my days. No matter what and no matter who has helped me along the way when it comes to my sobriety, that dog has been quintessential to the person that I've become since then. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I believe this 100%. I don't think I would have gotten through that early three months or whatever it was before I actually got back out into the world had I not had him. Um, you know, having him by me and having him being able to, like, like talk to him. And I have full-on conversations with him, and I'm sure you do with your dogs, too. Every and, day. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, when I go home tonight, I'm going to tell him all about this. I'm going to tell him how I talked about him. He's going to run around. We're going to probably sit on the couch, and I'm going to give him pets and scratches. And, you know, and I did that a lot in that early three months of my sobriety when I got home from the hospital. I talked to him a lot. And... You know, having that unconditional love and having him, you know, just by my side that whole time was was so therapeutic and so much support that, you know, like I said, I don't know that I would have I would have gotten through it. I mean, it was and to this day, he is my anchor. You know, when I talk about my sobriety, he is always mentioned somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, and rightfully so. I mean, that dog deserves a fucking gold medal and then some for, you know, services to his owner. I mean, if there's some sort of dog. I don't know. Give Oscar James an award. Done. Yeah. I'll tag him in this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's, uh, again, one of the... Uh, yeah, he saved his daddy's life. When you That's... take something as, as, as complicated and as, as gut-wrenching and yeah. just in life and just life-consuming as, like, an addiction, and yeah. then you have, like, you know, this little... this Literally, this little... Yeah, I mean, he this, was... this, this little pillar that can so, be, be quintessential to you actually getting through it. Yeah, I mean, he was... So I got... I got Oscar in May of 2016 and I got sober or I stopped my, that big moment was February or no, not February. What am I talking about? September 5th of 2016. So he was not, he was born in March. So he wasn't that, I mean, he was bigger, but he wasn't as big as he is now. I mean, he's 62 pounds now. I mean, he was he was still a little dude, you know. God, he's sixty two pounds. It's hard to tell from the pictures. He looks well, like thirty I, of that. Is when head. he, <laughs> yeah, we last vet, last vet last vet visit, he was fifty eight pounds, which is the lightest he's ever been. But we had just come off of tons of walks in the metro parks, you know, going all over the place, you know, walking all over Crocker Park all the time. So we were getting a lot of exercise this summer. Uh, and you know early fall so he he was very fit and still is i mean he's in great shape um but yeah he uh he was a little dude god i i mean, i would tell people you know you want to you want to get sober you're going to need a dog but that's an unrealistic expectation or responsibility to put on somebody <laughs> as they're going I mean? through that hey yeah. you know what well, the key to sobriety is get a puppy <laughs> Get something that's depending on yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. You can't depend on yourself, but go ahead and get a dog. It'll he'll, he'll help you out. I mean, there's certainly other factors at play. I mean, it wasn't just Oscar, but, you know, he he was a very, very big part of it. And to this day, he still is. I mean, he, he he's at home waiting for me, you know. And I, you know, I when I accomplish things, I tell him. I'm like, hey, buddy, we did this. You know, we got this. We took a trip this summer to uh, to Salem, Massachusetts. Um, it's actually the second time we did that. Uh, me and him got a rental car, 
drove halfway, stayed in a hotel, got up in the morning, drove the other half, spent a whole week just walking around Salem, doing spooky boy stuff. I've been to got, Salem. It's a cool place. Yeah, got tattooed. We lad the first time we were there, we made a bunch of friends and have a lot of people that we've stayed in touch with um, since then. Uh, and then we got to visit with some of them and uh, go to a bunch of cool restaurants and tried to go to the Satanic Temple, but they still needed like a vaccine your your vaccine card. Oh I, yeah, I yeah. didn't have it on me. I didn't have a picture of it either. I thought I did, but you know we've done we he and I have 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 carved out a cool little niche for ourselves, and I you know I'm really proud to to have him as my best pal. You know that'll be another one. I don't even want to get into it, but that'll be another big hurdle one day when the inevitable happens. I know it. I know it, man. You I know mean, I don't know. You 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 shit. You dude. You see that somewhere? Oh my God, Oscar James. You better call me. I might just drive to your house. Somebody, <laughs> honestly, I'm saying right now on record. Anyone that listens to this and you know me, something happens to Oscar or once when that day comes, check on me right away because I don't know that that might. I no, honestly, not even might. I know for a fact that will be the biggest test for my sobriety ever. Yeah, hands down. There's no doubt about it because he is my rock. He is my 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 world. That dude is. I mean, honestly, so. Check on me. Will. But yeah, I, I caught my uh, my wife a couple weeks ago just talking. And, and not for any other. I think yeah. they were just talking about stuff. And they were like, uh, she was like, I don't know what's going to happen to Joe when that day comes. Oh, yeah. Or Roscoe. And I'm, and I'm just like, all right, first of all, the day's never going to come. Yeah, don't. That doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, so. Roscoe's going to live to be 70. Right. I'm going to die first because that would honestly be easier. Me. That would be ideal. Yeah, right. Like, let me just <laughs> if go. I went before yeah. and Roscoe just assumed. Yeah, let him be by me when I die. Yeah, I'd rather that he way... deal with that than me deal with that. Yeah, so, dude. Yeah, that's a uh, because I mean same thing like like the groove. I mean we have, I mean he hangs out down here with me when yeah. I work. He hangs out down here for most podcasts. Yeah, and I mean he was when, down here for most yeah, of those talking. When we go to well, it was dinner time. He had to go ah. eat. Uh, when we go to sleep, he has to be in the bed. With his body, he has to lean on oh, your yeah. left no, leg. Oscar sleeps right in between my legs. Yeah, has to. He has since he was a little puppy, and he does it every single Cannot. night. That's his jam, you know? Dude. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, again, again, it's it's crazy the little things that can like make such a big, big, big difference. Yeah. So. What, so the uh, I, I'm sorry the name of the the, the place again I'm so sorry what oh, the oh B Riley B Riley yeah. sorry okay. B Riley House B Riley okay yep. so B Riley like. Anyone wants to like get in contact with that? Like, like where, so where, where should they go? Have, or where should they? There's a couple options. Okay. The easiest one is to there's if you go to the website, brileyhouse.com or yeah. .org. Honestly, I don't. I can look it up. Um, but through the website, there is an application that you can fill out. Okay. And it gets sent to the intake administrator. Um, and from what I've gathered, after that gets submitted. They, you know, she'll follow up, call, or you can just call in and you can say, hey, I'm going through, I'm in need of, I am struggling, blah, 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 blah. And then you come in, she gives you an assessment. And then if we have beds available, which we currently do, you will be placed into a recovery plan, a treatment plan. And there are, there are, there's case managers that work that up. And that is like what you need to adhere to in order to work through your recovery. Is it easy? Absolutely not. I mean, it 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 is it is a hard thing to start. It is a 
it is something that is essential, I think, for certain people and a good majority of people to reclaim their lives from a crippling addiction. But you, like I said earlier, you have to really want it. But it is a incredibly welcoming, incredibly open, incredibly supportive community with a lot of people that genuinely give a fuck. Um, and, you know, the, the residents are all really lovely too. I mean, they're going through their own battles, but they're, you know, as dysfunctional as it can be at times because, you know, it's just people going through some pretty traumatic stuff. They are all really supportive of one another and they do really help one another. And you see the, you know, as people work in their recovery and work through the program and through their treatment, they start to get more responsibility. And when they prove that they're working through things and they're showing leadership or showing certain strengths in certain areas, they get responsibility within the center. And they are people that other people, new people will turn to for guidance or help in certain, certain things. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you are out there struggling, first of all, please don't be afraid to reach out to anyone you feel can help you. I mean, I think that that is a big, big, big thing. It is not like you, if you are struggling with addiction, you're not alone. There are a lot of people that are struggling with addiction and it is okay to ask for help. And I encourage you to do that because you don't have to be your addiction. Your addiction doesn't have to define you. And, you know, the sooner that you are able to maybe find some sort of light and some sort of strength to start to pull yourself out of that, the better. And you certainly can live a life that is incredibly, incredibly more validating than being, you know, addicted to drugs and alcohol and really succumbing to that life. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if B. Riley is something that seems like it is a place for you, I would encourage you to reach out via the website or give us a call and, you know, try to, you know, find placement. Um, also, too, if if anyone that is is listening it wants to help out or donate anything we are always in need of stuff there is always a need for clothes there's always a need for food there's always a need for anything i mean you have to understand that a lot of these people that come to the center are coming there with nothing um you know some of them do come with things clothes you know belongings you know we've had i've seen you know one end of the spectrum to the other as far as their personal belongings but at the end of the day, everybody there could use something, and we can certainly always use things for other people down the road. You know, there is there's there's a constant need because there are constantly going to be people. And if you don't feel comfortable donating to B. Riley and you want to donate to another center, by all means, too. Like, there is always going to be a need for recovery places. There's always going to be an, a need for treatment because there's always going to be addiction. There's never going to be a time where people just figure it out and people aren't getting addicted to drugs and alcohol. It's just not a world that's ever going to exist. It's human nature to want to escape the reality around you, for better or for worse. And people are always going to succumb to that to a point where it takes control of their lives. So... If you want to donate, by all means, I encourage you to do it. You know, if you don't want to just drop stuff off, you're more than welcome to contact me via social media. You know, if you feel like you do, if you don't know me, you can contact Joe. I'm I, he can happily happy share, to. happy to share my information. <clears throat> um, you know, because we do need things, so please don't hesitate to uh, to donate if you're able. Um, you know, and uh, you know, it, it it's it's it is a it is a fun and eclectic and unique place. I can, I can, I can attest to that. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is some of the, sometimes I go in there and I'm like, man, it is the wild west up in here. It is, it is crazy. And, but you know, it, it is once again, some of the most validating, most important work I've ever done in my life. And, uh, 
you know, I'm very thankful to be a part of it. That's for damn sure. I'm glad you found it, man. Hey, you know, too, that's man. a that, that's a, a thing that uh, you know, in your your kind of you know your your daily journey. I yeah. mean, that it's being able to find something out, like I, I, being able to kind of discover more stuff. I think. Yeah, I feel like that just gives you even more and more. Where you're like, this was still the best decision because I'm, I'm still finding new and different ways to kind of yeah change myself to improve myself Listen, and how to help other people. That's a good thing. I never thought in a million years I would be working at a recovery center, talking to other people that are struggling with addiction and mental health. I, I that that even now doing it for X amount of months, it still is like, really, man, really? This is where we are now? Yeah. I mean, and in such a great way, like in such a positive, like, holy crap, dude, what a cool thing. But it it is it is such a it's just such a different reality than the reality that I live for such a large portion of my life. Yeah. Um but you know, it's one of the go like one of those cliche things. Like, if I can do it, you certainly can too. But it's true. There's a reason people say that. If I can go from the maniac party animal drunk person I was to who I am now, there are there's hope for anyone. I mean, literally. I mean, and there are certainly people that have it way worse than I do. I mean, there there are far there are people that are struggling, and then some. You know, I thankfully was able to at least provide for myself, at least somewhat. I always had food. I always had a head over a roof over my head. I was always always able to do things I wanted for the most part, you know, which most of the time was just drinking more. But, you know, there are people that have it far worse off. But even them, there is always hope. But you have to want that hope. And you can, as long as you apply yourself, hopefully find that strength to get there. Yeah. You know, you just have to figure out the path that works best for you. Did you get a six-year tattoo? Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I remember you said that you, you kind of like to get like- Yeah, no, like a- no. Uh, I, I did, but Chad, uh, my tattoo artist, um, and one of my really good pals at this point, Chad's been tattooing me for- Oh, you go out of state. No, not for my sobriety. I mean, I do. I have, but Chad Lenger at Black Metal Tattoo out in Strongsville. Oh, okay. Um he does. Uh, he's done all of my sobriety tattoos outside of my first year one, which is on my stomach. Um, he was at, at a big tattoo convention down in uh, Texas, like on my actual sobriety date, and didn't get back until the following week. So we didn't end up tattooing until like the sec- late in the second week of of September, and. Uh, I mean, I did get a tattoo. It's this big, like, Victorian woman, like, face with, like, a big hat and a big feather and this long, like, Victorian hair. And then her jaws, like, ripping open. And there's a, like, it's, if I'll show, a, show you a picture of it. But if you look at it upside down, her body is actually a skull with, like, a bonnet on and, like, another oh. hat. <laughs> It was like a, it was an image that I saw this artist I can't remember the sculptor he's a uh, I think he's a Mexican fella um he does this really like dark macabre kind of art, uh sculpture and it, he he did this like it was like a nun like head with a skull and the, they were attached by the jaw and I sent Chad a picture of that and I was like I want something like this and he ended up drawing up this Victorian thing so I got it. it's on my like uh, my whole right thigh okay does it have anything to do with sobriety absolutely not <laughs> well yeah I think 
There's only I don't know how many you can keep getting. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it 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 was you know I, I kept in theme and got something around the day, but like the yeah. other ones all have like I picked them out for my sobriety. This one was just I wanted to keep the tradition going, so I got it. And it's yeah, cool you got a cool one that you like. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, 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 and Chad and I need to. F- finally get together on this and talk about it but i would really really like to start my back this year um that is one piece of real estate one canvas if you will that i don't have done yet um and i think i finally narrowed down an idea and i'm not going to share it because i don't want anyone to steal it because it's a really cool idea um but i was like guiltless across your back (laughs) that's right damn straight that's what it's going to be uh and anyone can steal that go ahead um, but no, I, 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 I was like back and forth about all these different ideas and I always kind of second guessed them, but I finally came up with an idea that I am pretty positive is what I want. And I know that Chad would nail it. So I got to talk to him, um, the next time we actually get some time to like actually chit chat, he's such a busy dude and like such a sought after tattoo artist and rightfully yeah. so because he's so goddamn talented. Um, and he's just a really rad dude, like incredibly humble, you know. But he's he's really really busy. So those type of pieces, you gotta, you definitely gotta sit with someone that you like talking to. Man. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my tattoos have not, uh, you know. There's a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of pain, and a lot of money invested in my my tattoos. But that was another thing. Like I said, I had a list of things I wanted to do when I was, you know, planning out my life moving forward in my, not, you know, as a sober person. And one of them was to become a heavily tattooed person. I always thought people with lots of tattoos were cool. I always admired people that had lots of tattoos. It was just always such a rad look to me and I could just never make it happen. Cause I was always trashed. I never had any money and I never could come up with any good ideas. So when I finally got my act together, I was like, one thing we're going to do is get a bunch of fucking tattoos. And I did. Cause <laughs> yeah, I have mission a, accomplished. Man. I have a whole lot of them. <laughs> I have a whole lot of them. Like, if you haven't seen me in six and a half years and you see me now, you're going to be like, whoa. He looks different. Who is Tony? Yeah. What? Do you Have you seen Tony yeah. lately? It's like Pangea versus it, what the it, U.S. looks like now. I, mean, I was looking through photos of myself <laughs> from a while ago, like a couple months ago, and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, who is that guy? You may have to start getting smaller tattoos for each year. No. No. You can run out of room. No, see, listen, that's a common misconception, my Start friend. Start tattooing Oscar? No, <laughs> never that. No, but you actually, my buddy, uh, who he's been on the show, my buddy Ryan Hardwick said this to me, because he has a ton of tattoos, as yeah. you know, um, but he he told me, he goes, you got to think about your body and, and getting tattooed like you would painting your house. A lot of people paint their house more than once. You certainly can continue to get tattooed. Even, okay. when you, even when your body's full, and he does it, he's still getting tattooed to this day, and he's covered in tattoos. I don't like. I don't even know where he fits them in anymore. We talked about his. You just got a flamingo, or... yeah. right? <laughs> he said to say, I was, I was like, where? Like, yeah. where did you no, get? No, I mean, it? he gets stuff covered up. He yeah. finds little places to to because it does become like. And I didn't know this, man. Trust me, I did not realize what I was signing up for. But as I started to get more tattoos, I like wanted to get tattooed all the time, all the time. And as much as it's painful, and anybody out there listening that's like, oh, they don't really hurt, you don't know what you're talking they about. They fucking hurt. They fucking hurt. <laughs> tattoos hurt. And I have a lot more tattoos than a lot of people do 
they hurt. Trust me. They it's 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 so to say that they don't. You're just trying to be tough, or you have some little tiny thing that yeah. Like, if took... you have like a tattoo like on your shoulder, yeah, that doesn't hurt that bad. But right, but it still you hurts. Start getting into your neck, yeah, and yeah, your, go the back get, of your legs. And... Yeah, go get your go get your chest tattoo oh, or your stomach that. or get your, your neck ribs, or your head, and, and then tell me how it didn't hurt. Yeah, because they do. Um, but they don't hurt that bad. They don't hurt bad enough where people don't go back. And they certainly don't hurt bad enough for me where I'm not now like 60% of my body covered in tattoos. You know? Well, they're getting better at it. Like in terms of like ways to kind of dull that. Oh uh, yeah. Cause like I was talking to the, the guy I go to, cause he and I, we were talking about doing, and I will never be a super heavily tattooed cause I am a bitch. And like, <laughs> I mean, I like when I was doing like my left arm, I yeah. remember like looking at the, I was like, can we take a break, man? I'm sorry. This hurts so bad. Yeah. And man, I've uh, been there. He's like, I'm, you should have said something earlier. There's nothing yeah. wrong with taking a break. Listen, I will tell you right now, and I've used it a number of times and I will continue to use them when I feel like I want to. There are a number of products out there that are like lidocaine ointments that you can buy. There's tattoo numbing cream. There's another company called Green Cane. There's, there's a whole lot of them out there now. And they, it's a topical, load. you put it on your skin yeah. and they, it absorbs into your skin and you, you, I've, uh, the one that it worked the most effectively for me is when I colored my stomach. It was going to be a long session. It was going to hurt like hell. And I numbed up my stomach and it was about a two and a half hour long session, if I remember correctly. And for the first hour and a half, I didn't feel a fucking thing. Really? And I'm not exaggerating. Nothing at all. Yeah, I, I think so listen, getting, those guys are getting better at that. And and honestly, use them. They're, and, and listen, I've had conversations with a number of tattoo artists about this, both people that have tattooed me and people that haven't, just pals of mine that I know that t- do tattoos. Anybody that says you shouldn't use that stuff is just out to have you be in pain. It doesn't affect <laughs> your skin to the point where you're not there. Like, it's, the ink's not going to absorb the right way or it's going to alter my tattooing. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. As far as I've been told by my tattoo artist, like, why would that affect that? And if it lets you not be in pain, why wouldn't they want you to use it? And it's if it's like, because it's a rite of passage to not be in pain, that's the most ridiculous, outdated shit I've ever heard. You shouldn't well, have... to write a passage, then my first one should be my passage. Well, right. Let's, I'm covered in tattoos. I don't have to earn any more <laughs> stripes. I've been in a lot of pain for these tattoos. If I want to use a fucking numbing ointment, I'm going to use it, and I don't care what anybody has to say about it. Yeah. He, I, like... Uh, my guy... Uh, 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 yeah. Oh, God. He was telling me about it, too, because I sent him a thing, and he's like... Yeah, just because of the changes and things like this, so I'll probably do it in one session. I was like, one session? Because yeah. it would be like 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 a half sleeve on my right arm yeah. to kind of go like a contrary to my left. And and he's telling me this, like, we'll do this. This be about maybe like five hours. And I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to sound like a bitch. I can't sit dude, in your chair longest, for five hours, man. The longest I've sat for a tattoo, uh, what I think was actually this last trip in Salem, uh, my buddy Matt and his... Uh, his identical twin brother, Ryan, own a, a shop in Salem, Massachusetts called The Black Veil. They were on one of the tattoo shows, like Ink Master or one of those. Okay. They both do incredible dark imagery, semi, like realistic kind of, but it's all very, it fits that it's in Salem. And if you see their work, and a lot of people know them because they are pretty famous, Um their work is is recognizable because it's just so goddamn good and it's very unique to them. 
but I only had that one session. I, I don't live in Salem and it's a 12 hour or 11 hour drive. Yeah. And it's, you know, as much as he's a friend of mine and, you know, he was generous with his time, it's still not cheap. So I didn't also have the money to sit for, you know, or go back. But I think that session was, I got there at 11 and I don't think we were done until nine. Oh, no. <laughs> now, granted, we didn't start tattooing until probably... We didn't start tattooing until probably noon, 12.30. Oscar was staying. So uh, a woman that we befriended up there owns a, a dog, a, a pet store. It's like right on Essex, which is like the main strip of Salem. It's called the New England Dog Biscuit Company. Her and her husband have a, dog, a pet store there. So she offered. She's like, hey, I'll watch Oscar since you're going to be getting tattooed. Oh, that was nice. And I was like, really? You don't mind? And at first I was like, ah, oh, that really weirds me out. Like, what if she's going to steal my dog? But I, I, I had a good feeling about it. So I, she, he spent the whole day there. Um, so he wasn't alone in the hotel room, which was super rad. And she was sending me little pictures and videos oh, of him hanging nice, out yeah. at the shop with like meeting other dogs and stuff. But they closed at, I think, seven that night. So I had to go back and pick Oscar up and take him back to the hotel and then go back to the tattoo shop to finish. But that, that, that was a long that was a long day. That was a good eight hours of tattooing. Oh man, I can't I can't even imagine that. I can't like he and Mike starts walking me through like because of all these different creams, the way I do yeah. it, it's not gonna be as painful. Because yeah. I've also like I've had problems because like the and I think it's probably because of what I have too. Like it's it's these I have like a lot of different like Celtic yeah. like designs. And because it's the pretty intricate too, like my skin would bubble up after like two yeah. hours. And it's yeah. like, the ink's not gonna take. And I was like, what about that? Like I was trying to find a way to get myself out of a five hour session. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, it won't happen this way. Yeah, you'll be like, all right. All right, man. Let me I mean, it. <laughs> it really depends, man. Like I I have had friends because I I am very prone to taking my time finishing my tattoos. I'll finish them, like clearly. Lots of my yeah. tattoos are done. But I also will span them out over longer periods of time because I don't want to sit longer than I need to or I'm comfortable doing. Yeah. Like my neck. It's a big tattoo for your neck, the bird. Um, but this was five sessions. You know, Chad and I outlined it. You have to do the outline in one sitting. Right, That's yeah. just how it works. And it sucked. But because it sucked and because it's my neck and part of my head, I went back four sessions. Two of those sessions, I went in with, and I told him, I said, listen, ma'am, I'm going to sit for as long as I can. Two of them were, the one was literally a half hour. The other one was 45 minutes because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It sucked. I was in so much pain. And I think actually the one time I did, I tried to use numbing, the numbing stuff and it just didn't take or something, or I didn't do it right or it wasn't on long enough. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to be good. We're just going to, we're going to knock out a ton of this. And it, literally he started and I was in agony. So I was like, dude, let's go like a half hour, man. And let get me the fuck out of here. And then the last two sessions, the one, the, the second to last, I did pretty good. We knocked out a lot. And then he, he didn't tell me how little we had to do for the last one. So I literally went in and it was like 20 minutes and I was so happy because he was like he had he knew exactly what he needed to do and he was like little you know little accents here white and like he was like all right we're done I'm like 
What? What a relief. <laughs> Thank God. Because that was, that this tattoo in my neck, by far the most painful of all my tattoos. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't at all. Yeah. That's it's badass, though. I mean, oh, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It sucked, though. It was not fun. So, yeah. Like, like we said a little bit ago, you want to talk about tattoos not hurting, go and get the same <laughs> tattoo I have on my neck. Yeah. And, you, yeah, tell me how it didn't hurt. Get something. Get something. Four percent of what is on your neck, <laughs> yeah. and you're still going to be like, "Yeah, that hurt." Oh, dude, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. Well, I'm glad we did this again. I'm glad we yeah, did. Man, it. Me too. I'm glad we did it this way too. I'm glad we can. Yeah, you know, this was more. Your last one was intense, and rightfully so. Yeah, you no, know, and I'm glad I mean, this was more just kind of updates. You know, Here's what's going on. Here's yeah. still digging into it, and then we can get off topic and talk about some other stuff. Yeah, too. I think also too, man. Th- that time, that time of my life was a. I mean, everybody's. That was COVID times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That was right what? Out. That was a summer 2020. Yeah. Right? We were coming out of that. Yeah. yeah. We were coming out of it. I was in a weird place. Like, I think my girlfriend and I at the time were breaking up, or I was, I think I was living in Ohio City with my friend Jen. I hadn't bought my house yet. It was, it was a wild time for a lot of reasons. So, you know, I was in a very weird place, not, not just reliving all that stuff in my sobriety and telling that story so openly and honestly in this forum. But I just had a fucking bazillion things going on in my mind. My mental health was in a weird place. And I also wasn't, I still wasn't as far along, you know what I mean? I wasn't as, as, as self-aware as I've become since then. And like, yes, I, today was, was super rad and I love being on here and you can have me on, dude, anytime you want me to come on, dude, you're you're in that rotation. Just give me, you know, you got to give me a little lean time. Well, I know, I know, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. Yeah. I mean, well, so so are you, but I just, I have to be able to like go, all right, this, that, and now I can go and I can be the guest host. Yeah. But, um, but no, there's a, this has turned into where I have a, I have a a nice, a nice stable of brand new people all the time, but then I have, you know, you, Hardwick, Pants has been on three times. Yeah. Uh, Ken, obviously, so many times. Lindsay from Flight's been on three times. Yeah. We're already talking about doing her fourth. Savannah's been on a couple Savannah's, times. Savannah's, ah, God, I got to reach out to Savannah. She, she's been on like three times, too. Yeah. But, yeah, just I'm able to now do that, and I can get updates, still yeah. have fun, and still at the same time, like, right. you know. I mean, just just chilling up. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I well, I'm glad you came, man. Again, so... Uh, Please just, uh, if you guys want, you know, uh, if anyone, as Tony said, had any issues, don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. Yeah, please I can do. direct you to Tony if you're more comfortable, if you know me or anything like that. Yeah. Tony obviously will help you in any way that he can. Yeah. Uh, B. Riley, check it out if that's something that you think is is uh, is something that is for you or that you think you want to explore. And um, honestly, that was it. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to. Yeah. This is now our what five and a half. Five and a half hours sitting here just talking down. What? It's been that long? Oh, no. Combined. Oh. It's like, Jesus Christ, man. I got to get home to Oscar. No, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me yammer on again. And, Joe, thank you, as always, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, everybody. Yep.